0: Welcome to our trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And before we get into our totally not gonna be at least two hours episode, <laughs> we wanted to talk about the kind of future and, you know, what's next for our trilogy since it is a new year. Yes, it's 2024 now. Not only is it 2024, this is of our main episodes. This is episode number 75. Woo! So we are 75 episodes into the podcast, and we have plenty of more ideas, right? Yeah, to go into the future. But we wanted to talk about before we talk about our top 10 of 2023. We wanted to talk about what we have news planned wise for the podcast in the future, and the big thing which I'll let Andy elaborate on more if he wants to is we are going to build our own website.
1: Yeah. We're uh we we we're kind of talking towards the end of 2023 mm-hmm. and uh you know there there's been a lot of things we want to do on this podcast that we you know just haven't committed the time and effort into doing and we both you know have other obligations and yeah. jobs of course and um you know, we both write have written for the the film yeah, for of, like over six years or about six years. It was
0: about six years for me. Um,
1: mm-hmm. And so we've done kind of you know reviews and commentary on that site for a long time. Um, and that was that was great for us. That was a great oh, absolutely uh, platform yeah. to to be a part of for so many years. Super thankful for that. But we we got to thinking, you know what do we want to do with all these ideas, all these yeah. other things we could do with the podcast? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time to, like, take the next step and kind of go full tilt and expand this, you know, whatever you call it, brand or whatever, into, like, more of an all-encompassing outlet.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Andy and I were not disappointed with our output last year in terms of what we did. <laughs> we had a fun time with each episode we could do, but the problem was we were both busy in our own ways. Yeah, me mainly professionally just you know job wise being more busy than i've ever been and also with you you know getting married yeah, <laughs> and having yeah. to worry about a wedding for the majority of the year and then getting married and then you and then every time you know you had your honeymoon and then pretty much intermingled with all of that anytime we'd have an episode it seemed like nine times out of ten one of us wouldn't feel the best right or one of us you know I think yeah, towards the end you got COVID at one point. Yeah. So I did. We, we had to push back the Shin trilogy three weeks. <laughs> right. Because also me <laughs> Yeah. So I think so is, I think
1: twenty twenty three, though it had plenty of great episodes, I think was maybe our lowest episode is. count in a year since mm-hmm. we started the pod. So that yeah. was our that was our third year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, um so you know, in response to that we're gonna knuckle down <laughs> and start doing a lot more stuff.
0: Yeah, no, the goal is to plan it out much more in advance um have two episodes a a month so the goal is to have another january episode Mm -hmm. on top of this but it's also we're really excited because this year has specific new releases that tie into what we've talked about in the past yeah as well as you know we've had trilogies that have been in the chamber for so long that we just haven't you know pulled the trigger on and then of course we're going to do that now because what better time to do that (laughs) Then you know during our expansions, really just doing the trilogies that we want to do on top of the ones that are going to be tied to more recent releases. Yeah. Um, we have <laughs> in February we're gonna we're planning on doing car Y, mm-hmm. you know, which is a trilogy we've talked about on this podcast many a times. His uh, love trilogy, yeah. right? Yeah. It's I'd say the only other trilogy that has been as notorious for the longest time was the Vengeance trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> which right. is, you know, difficult to get to at some points, but. You know, we're going to do that in February in honor of Valentine's Day. And, you know, there's we have, you know, I know this is something that Andy, <laughs> when I brought this up to him, it was not that like, it's not like we're super excited to watch these two films. <laughs> I mean, especially me, because yeah. I have yet to watch either one and you are yeah. probably going to rewatch the first one yeah. going into this one. But we have a duty to talk about every Zack Snyder film we've seen <laughs> because we've got we pretty much have. So our first frequel of the year is probably going to be talking about his big two part sci fi epic Rebel Moon. Yeah, because the Scar Giver, his second part, yep. comes out in April.
1: Yeah, we've we have kind of a now I guess professional obligation <laughs> to make a frequel every time Snyder makes a movie because we've done all of his films. And we will continue to do Yeah,
0: all honestly. Because there's no way this man's going to stop after Rebel Moon. <laughs> no, 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 no. He'll come we'll, up
1: with another totally original, unoriginal <laughs> IP to make.
0: And I'm all for it. Let's yeah. just keep going. Um, other ones are Kung Fu Panda 4. I don't know if yeah. it's ever gotten released release date yet, but we're definitely going to do a prequel yeah. on that.
1: I think it's supposedly um, like May ish or something. I, th- I
0: think so, which it coincides perfectly well. If it is May we'll have, no doubt, a trilogy tied into Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes while doing Andy Serkis' Planet of the Apes trilogy. Right. Which, we're going to have a guest for that. Which, speaking of, in terms of you know using the website and expanding this year, our goal is to do more guests than yeah, we've done.
1: We've got a lot of, like, you know, just personal friends and also, yes. you know, some professional colleagues, other people who love movies and love talking about movies that we'd like to bring into the fold, um, yeah, and just kind of, yeah, diversify the conversation, because Logan and I have great talks, but sometimes it's nice to have a third voice to balance us out.
0: It, it really does. It changes, it does change the format a lot, especially if it's a trilogy where two, the guests and you, or the guests and I, are very invested in Yeah, me. right. The <laughs> other one's like, all right, I'm gonna let yeah. you guys take this, I'm third yeah, wheeling here. I'm definitely not referencing Bionicle, but <laughs> at the same time... <laughs> So, yeah, we, we have plans to do, you know, the website, articles on the website to kind of, you know, expand our, you know, content in terms right. of, you know, I mean, you know the, output, especially, yeah. and try to be less radio silency, which, there, I mean, obviously we're radio silency because this is not our job. Yeah. If it was, it'd be a blast, but that's just not the reality of things right now. So. Yeah,
1: but, I mean, the goal of, yeah, creating our own web platform would be yeah so we can publish other types of things including yeah written content like new release reviews yeah which you know on a you know semi-regular basis kind yeah of our actual thoughts on you know movies coming out rather than just like oh let's you know i saw a movie and we'll talk about it in the cold open you know we can do like fully formed written Review reviews forward. and that sort of thing
0: we could also do recaps of the month there's yeah. like you know we couldn't get to something when the film was coming out but if we watched you know tv or something like this and that and just talk about right Kind of the recap of media that we're like, hey, you should check this out.
1: Yeah, well, and, you know, we might also have the odd like retrospective, like maybe kind of yeah. like we do with the main podcast. When a new movie is coming out, maybe that's a good time to talk about these older mm-hmm. movies that are somehow tied to it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yes, and and also we'd love to do other types of audio multimedia content too, in oh. addition to the main podcast. Whether that's like, you know. immediate reactions after watching a movie or maybe one or both of us has an odd thought that we want to ramble about for half an hour or something, something going on in the film industry or film criticism or whatever. Um, You know, we, we may do Logan or I may do something just, you know, throw something up solo or we might get together and do some stuff, you know, it's just kind of like, we just want to put other stuff, uh, other other ideas and thoughts out into the air that don't fit onto an odd trilogies episode, and we can put those out in between episodes, and and have kind of a more steady supply of mm-hmm. output.
0: Because surprisingly enough, not every franchise has three films that are <laughs> right. odd enough that you could talk about, you know, yeah. ad nauseum. So well, and we
1: we some you know <laughs> we we stretch the the odd premise far enough as it is. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. We I, can I, we can definitely find other. <laughs> avenues to talk about some stuff
0: oh absolutely again the we we weren't disappointed in what we did last year we had a fun time with everything we could do but the issue was i think by the end of last year i mean Andy and i just both admitted to ourselves a lot of what we did last year was because that was kind of at times especially certain months the bare minimum yeah right and we wanted to do more than that yeah and so we talked about what could be the next big step And lo and behold, the one thing I I was personally thinking about is I guess we could start a website or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know, maybe look into this or that. And then Andy comes to me, you know, a month or two ago, and pretty much says the same things I've been thinking. Is like, oh, this is the perfect timing to bring all this up. Yeah. See, twenty twenty four is you know we are hoping and we are going to push to be like you know one of the bigger years, if not if it could be the biggest year of our trilogy so far. Yeah, awesome. That is the goal. But again, we are two people who love talking about movies and also have day-to-day jobs <laughs> right, right, right. and lives as well. So yeah. we are we are sticking, at, at most we are trying to stick to it bi-weekly episodes with the website getting, you know, we'll do developments on when that's coming out and like yeah, articles we're, and whatnot. We're
1: kind of uncertain right now about like a launch date on the website, but, you know, yeah. hope, hopefully in the next couple months we can kind of get get uh, those things rolling and start to do other, other content.
0: For sure, but we just want to let everybody know about that because yeah. we're super excited about it. Jazzed. oh my gosh, I'm I'm excited in the the trilogies we have planned for the year as well as ones that we don't have planned that I right. haven't told Andy about oh, yet. Oh, surprising. I can't wait to. Um, I've already pitched him two Eddie Murphy trilogies in honor of Beverly Hills Cop Axel yeah. F. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he hasn't responded to either one, so I can't wait to see if we <laughs> choose one, which one he would like to do because both of them I think are. Uh, One's of course, like Andy said, pushing the odd a little bit. <laughs> well, the other one is full blown insanity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but. Uh, yeah, let's let's get right into it because I feel like at this point, you know, like I said, this is going to be a long one. And because we have, yeah. yeah, we I mean, I don't know if you know by this podcast, you know, even though we record live, and it seems like we might be lying about how much we love movies. No, we love movies. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know this? Yeah. If, if someone thought it's we'd all lie, an act. Yeah. This is quite an act. It's probably the best joke I've ever done, if that was the case. <laughs> but no, yeah, this last year, twenty twenty three was a great year for movies. It it was actually, in my opinion, in terms of the films I saw last year that were even, you know, hitting six or seven out of tens, for me, they were I think, in my opinion, arguably more interesting than other years is six or sevens that we've gotten. Yeah. And I mean it
1: was yeah, it was a really there were a lot of movies this year that like maybe didn't work for me overall, but like I had a lot of complex thoughts on them and they still did interesting things. I don't know, you know, yeah, I think 2023 was a really interesting and great year for film. And a lot of the best films of the year are films. I will love to revisit, which I can't, can't always say about every year, but um,
0: did you count how many films you watched last year? Cuz I I, uh,
1: I I think it's well, let's see, not including Cuz I oh, I, let me I filter can, my list here.
0: Cuz I counted basically all I counted basically every single new release I saw last year. Yeah. Um, cuz usually my process is I, 82. 82.
1: 82 feature films.
0: God damn, that's not surprising. <laughs> I was 51. Oh nice. I think I honestly think this was a year too. it was funny cuz I thought you said you were a bit more picky this I, last year. I was, actually. I think the year before <laughs> I did like 100. Yeah. So that shows a lot. Especially <laughs> yeah. I, just, I
1: mean, it's... a lot of it, too, is like, you know, in the November area of mm-hmm. the year. Yeah. I'm watching a lot of stuff. I wouldn't necessarily say out of obligation, but I'm watching a lot of stuff for the express purpose of knowing I've seen it so I can have a discussion on it for the IFJA awards meeting yes, so we can deliberate, yeah. you know, it might be nominated and I'm like, well, I wasn't super interested in it to begin with, but I'll there... check it out since it's a nominee mm-hmm. and we got to talk about it. So
0: yeah, if they're going to talk about it, you might as well be aware. Yeah.
1: So I'm never, I'm never not going to watch a lot of movies in a year. No, um, for sure. Be- partly because of that and partly because we're both just obsessive nerds. Um, <laughs> First I've heard of it. And, uh. But yeah, I, I was definitely a little bit pickier this year, and I think even, even with the real stinkers I have at the bottom of my <laughs> list for the year, m- like I watched a lot less movies I didn't like this yeah, year. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I don't, did too. Part of that, I think, is being picky, and part of that is it was just a really good year.
0: Yeah. I I think I had about, thank God for Litterbox clockiness, I think about <laughs> 90 entries in 2023. Uh-huh. And fifty one were new films, yeah. Um, actually, I have a few that need to clock in. The last few that I watched before we did this episode, but it was fifty one of the films from last year, and then just a bunch of stuff that you know, were for the podcast as well as you know, the the my burgeoning Gundam obsession <laughs> on top of everything. <laughs> yeah, and all these other things and TV shows. <clears throat> um, last year felt so long to the point where like there's definitely tv shows i've completely forgotten i watched in like march or april yeah Uh, yeah and it it has gone to the point where it's like it that's less that i think like last year had bad stuff and more just the fact that like last year just felt long (laughs) yeah a lot was at least personally a lot was going on and um movies were great to have at that time but at the same time it doesn't stop from feeling like you know it's yeah. been like it's felt like it's been years <laughs> since like certain <laughs> films came out, especially because there's one film on my list that I completely forgot it was a February release last year and was like, Jesus Christ, this was February. What was that? that? I, I can't tell you oh, it's on okay. my fucking list, Andy. That's oh. the whole point. To surprise <laughs> you. But I, I will say, I think it's on your list, too. Uh-oh. But we'll get into it. I will start with my number 10. Okay, and you know, I think I'll do my number ten, and then you say your number ten, and then we yeah, just discuss. That's, yeah,
1: that's our traditional
0: mm-hmm. method. Uh, my number ten is an incredibly strong film. It's an epic from one of the most, you know, veteran American directors, one of the most esteemed American directors we have that are still working today. Who you know, his last big film was a bit divisive in a lot of ways, mm. especially where it came from because it was a Netflix original at the time. This one is an Apple uh, see, original. See, <laughs> until you said
1: Netflix original, there were two directors yeah, I could have, I, I figured could have applied yeah.
0: that to. Uh, and, but now that it's this current film is an Apple original, but it still had a theatrical release, and that is Martin Scorsese's <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon. Hell yeah. That film fucking rips. It's great. Uh, I will say that one of the reasons why it's 10 and not higher, I will admit, <laughs> while it has a phenomenal cast, it's a great film, can't wait to watch it again. It is, in fact, three hours and, like, 20 minutes long. Yeah. And it does feel that. And it's not... It feels like that.
1: Right, right. I would say there's a contrast between it and, say, like, Wolf of Wall Street, where it's kind of like just this blast of a roller coaster all the way through. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Wolf of Wall Street's long, but it doesn't necessarily always feel it because it's just crazy and weird. No, yeah. Like, fun. And Killers definitely is a little more... Slower and more methodical, and there's kind of a, a and, procedural element to it.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's being more respectful than well, it is too, Wolf of yeah, Wall Street. Wolf right. of Wall Street is just well, going who's, who's
1: there to respect in Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> no,
0: very little in Wolf of Wall Street. While yeah. as in Killers, it is it is a it is a white man telling pretty much a Native American tragedy. Yeah, yeah. and it is. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think it makes a I. As someone who is also white and is watching this film, as someone who is like, I'm wondering how the Native American community is taking, yeah, you know, Scorsese's version. Which, of course, I think one of the best responses is there was a a CBS morning Sunday morning interview with a, um, uh, ad ad. I think one of the spokespeople for the tribe that was, uh, oh, yeah, sp- that was sh- that's shown in the tragedy and um, the Osage. And the Osage Nation, and he just basically said, "It's Martin Scorsese. Why would I, why would yeah, I be right. worried that he was going to do it right?" Right. And I think uh, he, Scorsese handles the story the best way any white director could do without it feeling like you're pandering, or it feels you're like you're or... ham-fisted. or you're just like trying to be Oscar Beatty, I guess. If it's for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah. I mean, there was like, a it's... lot of
1: you know you can read all about the amount of work that went into trying to um, not just accurately represent Osage culture and history, but also like Mm -hmm. hear and articulate their perspective through it. And you can feel that in the film. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, obviously Leo in parentheses, white man um, is kind of our lead and we're mostly following him through it. Um, But like, there is a lot of uh, th- the Native American perspective is like pervasive throughout, and it's almost yes. like it's. I think one of the highest compliments I can give to Scorsese as a white man to a white man um, is that uh, the story feels like it was told the way that a Native American who witnessed it might have told it. Yeah. Like it feels it yeah. feels you know, it's very obviously it should be, but it's very critical of mm-hmm. all of the the central players um who were, you know, carrying out these atrocities. And it's not I think it, it it does successfully reach for empathy for a lot of those characters, but not at the expense of acknowledging and condemning the terrible things they did.
0: No, I, I actually I think the the empathetic um, angle is something that is like, makes those horrible characters so much more interesting because in your brain, you're going, this is real. Like this happened. This is not something, this is not a situation where it's, you know, it is probably, it is definitely dramatized probably in certain places because it's a film and it can only do so much, even in a three plus hour runtime, there's only so much they could do in the time span they're covering. Ultimately, there are certain aspects to certain characters where it even takes you towards the very end sometimes to be like, is there even anything worth saving right? in this person or even worth right, the, right. acknowledging as, like, a, a, an ounce of good? Yeah. well, Especially not, in a situation like this.
1: I remember feeling during the movie, and I think I mentioned this in, like, my letterbox review, that, like, it feels he does a great job with the the focus kind of you know being on Leo's character <laughs> of make making you like you're constantly hoping that everything that you're pretty sure this guy is guilty of is not actually true. You know, you're constantly kind of rooting for him to mm-hmm. realize the error of his ways.
0: Yeah, like he's stuck between family and family to an yeah, extent.
1: And you're like, okay, maybe Maybe he's just kind of an idiot who's getting puppeteered along, and then like the film just keeps rolling, and it's like this
0: guy knows exactly what he's yeah. doing, and it's I, so
1: disappointing to, and awful. And... To
0: be honest, the the beginning and end of the film is phenomenal. A lot of the reasons why a lot of these, a lot of my top ten is in my top ten is because of just incredible endings that have just lingered afterwards yeah. so incredibly well, and this one has. I would say, out of all of I've seen of Scorsese's films, such a, you know, loving, you know, kind of a very empathetic, you know, very professional ending for such a sad story. Yeah. And another thing, too, is there are three moments in this film, again, three plus hours that are like, there is like very little dialogue happening, but there is just a masterclass of acting in every single person's face during certain scenes where you make, you like, every time it happens, you go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, even if I was a little bit, like, losing interest, I've not lost it. Yeah,
1: Lily Gladstone especially does such a great job with, like, her comparatively little dialogue compared to, like, um, De Niro and DiCaprio, (sighs) Mm -hmm. who are very talky characters. Yes, Um, yes. And her character is, like, observing and taking this all in Mm -hmm. and understanding what's happening.
0: She, she probably has the best chance for best actress. (laughs) Probably, probably. I mean, this is a year again, this is a year where there are going to be incredible choices for best actor, best supporting actor, best actress, best supporting actress. It is going to be truly uh, a drag your knuckle, like knuckle dragging fight at a certain (laughs) point in terms of (laughs) who you want to win. Battle of the knuckle draggers. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, it just, there is a certain performance that happens in, especially in my top 10. It's, I think it's definitely in your top 10 too, where it's like every film I saw after that, I was like, God, this guy's goes so good for best supporting actor. But fuck, I saw this two months ago and this guy yeah. clearly is going to get it. There were and every single s- time,
1: yeah. several performances this year that I felt and also saw other people saying like, Oh, shoe in for X award. Yeah. And then you know, two months later, another movie comes out and they're like, well, maybe not so yeah. clear cut. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so that'll be fun to see. That'll actually make the Oscar season a little bit more interesting, depending on who they choose for those. Yeah. Uh, I nominations. Mean, but... the best
1: the best scenario for me in any Oscars lineup is like a situation where I would be happy with any of the winners. Yeah, You know, when when your spread of nominees is so good that it's like, I don't really care who wins. That's a that's yeah. a good year.
0: But yeah, uh Killers of the Flower Moon, it's very great. respectful. It's an epic. It's Scorsese again working at the top of his game very late in his career. I yeah mean, considering decades and decades he's been in the film industry. He is still churning out best of films. Yeah. And it's great to see that. And it's also great
1: to see him like continuing to kind of expand yes. his repertoire. I mean yeah. this. I wouldn't say killers is like entirely outside of his wheelhouse stylistically, but Mm -hmm. the subject matter and the way he presents it shows a sensitivity that, like you know, is just not not that it isn't present in his other films, but it's it's a a new side of him, I think, a little bit. Yeah, which is cool to see. The man's in his eighties and he's still trying to do stuff that he's never done before. And I love that. Good
0: for him. Honestly, that's that's the best part about a, a director who has that kind of clout. Yeah, this late in his career, trying to do something so different than his usual. Right. But yeah, that's my number ten. What is your number ten?
1: Well, this is good. Our our number tens, for starters, are different, Mm -hmm. and I can guarantee you neither of our number tens are on each other's top ten list. So we got we got two different. um, All right. I'll say Killers was just outside. It was in my top fifteen. Oh wow. Yeah. Um. I don't have any more to add to it. Great movie just missed the cut Mm -hmm. um my number 10 is a movie um (laughs) it's the biggest curveball on my list okay there will be no other film that surprises as much as this one because it surprised me i was looking through my you know i keep an ongoing kind of progressive ranking Uh of every movie i watch throughout the year yeah um and then at the end in time for this episode i kind of you know rearrange a few things based on how i feel at the time to to cement it in there and this one it's been floating right around the 10 mark <laughs> all year. A little bit outside, a little bit inside.
0: Oh, I also want to clarify to the audience, like Andy's had a stupid grin on his face yeah. since he started talking about number well, 10. So yeah. Yeah, I want to know. I can't wait.
1: And so what I landed on with this one, I decided You know, there's a lot of movies I could make my number 10. Killers was right up there. Um, this one is not a movie that I can even tell you how to see. I, I'm not going to talk about how I got to see it because I don't think I was supposed to be able to see it but um <laughs> <laughs> you know festival shit and all that oh my god
0: um, I t- <laughs> have no idea what this is it is
1: called it's a it's a um like kind of lgbt exploitation revenge thriller called guys at parties like it super oh. low budget indie okay. film that came out this year um, showed at several festivals directed by uh colton david coat and micah coat uh, i think they're siblings okay. um, and uh yeah this one i i would
2: <laughs>
1: it's uh it's <coughs> i think i said on letterboxd that it's deliciously tasteless and that's that's exactly what it is it is not like you know, I, I mean, when I say low budget, I mean low, low budget. This this mm-hmm. looks like it was made by you know, this looks like a first time Are we talking like ham sandwich
0: budget. Yeah, okay. Kinda. I, I mean, understand. like there's right.
1: there's some impressive you know lighting and and uh, set design, mostly because it's it takes place at a house party, so there's a lot of people, a lot of moving parts. Yeah, but it's not a movie that you're going to look at and be like, oh, this is gorgeous or whatever. You know, it's yes. it's a it's yeah. a cheap movie. <laughs> okay, um, All right. but the thing I love about it is it has no compunction about you know just just like looking at the line in the sand on social issues or yeah. mores or yes. what's going to get you lit up on Twitter and it just kind of kicks the the line out of the sand you know just kind of dashes it away and it's like we're going to we're going to do stupid shit and okay. it's going to be whatever we want nice. and uh, yeah there's a lot mm-hmm. of um, I, again, this was, I think, made by a trans person. I'm not entirely sure on that, but um, and maybe a gay person. So was
0: this at Heartland?
1: Uh, I think. Well, it it wasn't shown at Heartland. It was submitted.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: rejected. Um,
0: oh, well, I guess the way that you're describing it, I yeah, mean, I guess it makes sense. Um,
1: and there's it's hyper violent, um, very oh, exploitative. Very, um, lots of questionable choices in terms of like punchlines and oh, jokes about, um, you know, de- sexual deviance and so um, the gay experience, <laughs> and also I mean it's a house party. There's a lot of like fratty guys in it uh-huh. doing really homophobic things, and like they are the punchline. But there's also like gay characters doing really
0: awful, stereotypical. disgusting, mm-hmm.
1: stereotypical things, and it's all funny. Um, and, okay, and it's okay. it's very much just like we're gonna we're gonna throw everything at the wall and it you know, not everything sticks, but the stuff that sticks has really stuck in my mind the entire okay. year And if I can ever find a way to watch it, Logan, we're gonna watch it.
0: I'm I so, I'm, so I so need to ask this question because yeah. this is giving me more context about another film that came out this year because there's a film that came out this year that if you had asked me, to describe it, it would be very similar to how you're describing this. Yeah. But you are more on the fence on this film than this. Is this film the reason why, when you see people talk about how good Saltburn is, you kind of have in the back of your brain. <laughs> they, like, haven't seen they haven't guys seen guys at parties like it. Yeah. That's, because if you that's had, you probably skews that, that my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Because Saltburn is, salt is vapid. It's nasty. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah. beautiful to look at, and it clearly has right. very little to actually say other than mm. like. This is the story. That's it. Like it's not. It doesn't really have any social commentary, especially compared to yeah. promising uh, young woman. Promising young woman. Um, but it. I. It now makes a lot more sense hearing you talk about this film. Like, oh, of course he wouldn't probably like Saltburn because he's seen a in his. Because again, I'm saying in your mind because I've yet to see. Yeah, him. to be clear, you've, to honestly, be clear, I you've enjoyed sold. Burn, you've, you've fucking sold me on this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no. Excited. There's
1: definitely like a if I had watched. I, and i i enjoyed saltburn i think it's mm-hmm. a f- fun piece of kind of artsy fartsy trash yes, but like had it is. i watched this movie the day before going to see saltburn i probably would have hated saltburn i would have se- it would have seemed cowardly yeah. because I, this film just oh, where can't. where saltburn kind of toes the line this one just puts its dick right across the line <laughs> and thrusts like <laughs> um and i loved it so okay that's that's that one good luck trying to watch it uh
0: so what was the title again
1: guys at parties like it that's my number 10.
0: you gotta keep me updated on that because i will absolutely watch that that is (laughs) such a different top 10 i fucking love that um i also love the fact that it pushed out killers of the flower moon for you (laughs) eat your heart out oh my god that's so funny um (laughs) my number nine uh going to our next entry is Yorgos Lanthimos's Mm -hmm. Poor Things. This was a late release for a lot of us in the U.S. It was a December release. Mm -hmm. I think it was originally... It was U.S. I I think it was L.A. and New York, like Thanksgiving, early December. Mm -hmm. Then we got like a week or two after that. This film, again, same as Killers of the Flower Moon. This movie rules. This movie is... Has phenomenal art, set design. The score is goofy and weird. The movie itself is absolutely just off the off kilter. Yeah, the entire time it is. Think of like Bride of Frankenstein, but like that's not a good enough example. Like it's like (laughs) just like as a baseline. Yeah, like it's if it's like a coloring book, Bride of Frankenstein is the outline. Yeah. And it's just, like, this is a film where, like, there are colors where colors shouldn't be. <laughs> there are moments where you can't believe a actress such as Emma Stone is fully committing to the character of the um, lead, yeah. Bella Baxter. It is a film that is about, you know, women empowerment without feeling, you know, you know, eye-rolly or feeling, like, pandering. Right. It's a film about freedom. It's a film about trying to find yourself in a world that is, you know, accepting of you but also usually not you know trying to find trying to find people in your corner and there's also a film that i put this up this so high is because the cast rules the cast is great but there are two standouts and that is of course emma stone and mark ruffalo Mm -hmm. ruffalo just sells this fucking film for me and is is probably my favorite ruffalo performance yeah just how much of an absolute Piece of shit he is, and how fucking funny he is! Yeah, Ruffalo doesn't like, get
1: to play pieces of shit no, a lot. It and is he really took advantage.
0: Nothing screams just how fun his performance is like my girlfriend being almost absolutely disgusted with everything he said, <laughs> and I would be right next to her crying silently because I yeah. could not because I had cackled already fifteen times right, by that point. Right. Like the man says "ow," hilariously. Mm-hmm. That's, like, such a good performance. And also, this the story itself is so engaging. The world is so much fun to be in. Yeah. Like, well, I mean,
1: it's, it's, like, it's a coming-of-age story. It is. And it's yeah. a really fun look at that because it's almost like you're watching, uh, you know, you're watching the entirety of, like, childhood development happen in Emma, Stone, Emma Stone's character. Like, yeah. mentally, intellectually.
0: And, like, it's, like, sped up. Yeah. It's, it's just a it's, rapid
1: mm-hmm. uh, crash course through... Literally coming of age,
0: which I would argue that Emma Stone deserves at least some awards recognition for how she had to walk like that for the entire oh, yeah, film. Yeah, She committed to that walk. It was funny when she walked, basically like <laughs> a Frankenstein monster for the majority right. of the film until it becomes part of her character mm-hmm. in a way that is so unique and is just. This is definitely my favorite Lanthimos film I've seen. I've yeah, not seen all so this too. stuff, but I um because I've I've not seen Killing of a Sacred Deer or Dog Tooth. Because that dog is like his it's like it was like his first big yeah I haven't seen crossover hit either. but I think Poor Things is great highly recommend yeah uh, a Fox Searchlight film so technical so technically it's under the Disney <laughs> it's under yeah. the Disney umbrella <laughs> yeah. which is funny to think of when you watch it right but yeah Poor Things highly recommend what's your number nine
1: my number nine is Barbie.
0: Oh, yeah. it made your top 10? It made my top 15. Okay, okay so this good. is my I like killers, this. I guess. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, number...
1: great. Yeah, Barbie, it's a blast. It's, uh, you know, it's firing on all cylinders the whole time. You've got a cast yes. full of people just there to have fun and be a good time. Uh, Ryan Gosling is an amazing Ken. He was the first, I think, supporting performance of the year where I thought, like, give this man an Oscar, you cowards. Yeah, um, it, it just... Of course, right after Barbie, I saw Oppenheimer, and I also thought that about Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I... uh, but yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. I think it it's a really uh, impressive balance between, like, let's just go have fun at a blockbuster and, like, let's take a corporate brand that has exploited... Um, you oh, know, yeah. female beauty standards, and tell a story that actually empowers people, and and makes people feel confident and at home in themselves. And it's like, wow, you didn't, you didn't have to do all that, no, right Gerwig, but I knew you would, no, and you did.
0: It, yeah, it is, it is by far one of the most, it is one of the most surprising, if not the most surprising, studio film, like big budget studio film, of last yeah. year just because of the fact of how hard greta goes in terms of discussing the answer like what is barbie to us and the answer to that is everything and nothing all at once yeah like it really is it does a good job of not being pretentious and talking about you know how barbie is more of an icon in different ways than we've never thought about while also just fully embracing the bubblegum pop aesthetic that is so notoriously known for the design of Barbie and has been known for a while. And also the cast just is hilarious. It's a cast where the majority of the cast is either Barbie or Ken. (laughs) And each one of those Barbies and Kens have their own personality, little traits that kind of really bring them over the edge. And it also is a film that like Greta Gerwig is putting like deep, hardcore drops of characters that haven't been like a doll since like the 70s. Yeah, yeah, and, it's Alan like, <laughs> and shit like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, sugar daddy Ken who <laughs> is like 5 seconds of screen sugar time. Sugar daddy, yeah. Um but yeah, Barbie's great. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, An, and I, choice for top Also,
1: top. I, th- I mean, I think the biggest surprise for me was the obviously barbie and ken are toys and all the barbies and kens are toys yeah the uh the human element of it surprised me i didn't realize was even part of the film until i started watching it the yeah. mother daughter uh storyline with um oh what's her name uh, america uh, is it ferreira. america ferreira, Merc- ferreira yeah. and ariana greenblatt as a mother-daughter duo and that mm-hmm. was great um my wife sobbed through the whole movie because yes. of their dynamic mm-hmm. um and yeah. Just My a,
0: girlfriend has a... yet to see it and I think she'd really fucking enjoy it. Yeah. Just it's... a
1: great blend of like pathos and just good time, oh, blockbustery yeah. comedy fun.
0: And and of course this movie doesn't exist without Margot Robbie just fucking killing it. Right, her. yeah. Again, the, the one clip I keep seeing constantly used is, of course, her you know crying that someone called her a fascist. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not someone who controls the means of commerce and railroads. <laughs> and It's just like, the way that Margot Robbie has gotten to the point where she started off, again, because we're talking about Wolf Wall Street, just being like a beautiful woman who has just shown up in a Martin Scorsese film being yeah. like, she fucking kills it in every scene she's in. Right. I wonder where she's going to go from here. And it's now gotten to the point where, like, there's at least three or four different films that have her fingers in that pot. Yeah, yeah. And she's killing it right now. Yeah. I, I mean, think Barbie is incredible really because of
1: that. really dived into the producer role, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, number eight. Number eight. So, for my top ten, there are at least three choices that I'm very – I'm curious to think most people listening, and even you, will have like a, oh, really? That's that's in the top <laughs> ten. Not in a bad way, yeah. but it is kind of like, when I was going through the top ten, you know, to clarify, numbers ten through five are like nine out of tens, if not okay. nine and a half out of tens for yeah. me. So these are all phenomenal films. But this film came out in a pretty, I would say, probably arguably a pretty rough year for this company. This is probably the worst year for this brand the uh, company the products but i have to say guardians of the galaxy volume 3 <laughs> is probably one of my favorite films of the year sure and i think genuinely you know in a year that is filled with you know a lot of people who have already kind of been on the fence about marvel now just kind of digging their heels even more and just ripping them to shreds anytime there is something that isn't just a hundred percent quote-unquote great decision yeah um I mean, again, to put it bluntly, the the start of the year had them excited for people to see Jonathan Majors in Quantumania, and the end of the year had them excited to tell people that Jonathan Majors is no longer part of the the (laughs) MCU. That's the kind of year they've had. Right. And so to have in between that, in between three films that they've had this year where one made a good amount of money but was just like panned by critics, and one film that I think if it hit a hundred million, it barely hit a hundred million. Yeah. It's first, first Marvel film in years to not hit a hundred. You have a love letter to a bunch of, a ragtag group of quote unquote heroes that ultimately ends their story in a way that feels like it is not burdened by whatever the fuck Marvel wants to do. It's not burdened by, You know how you know the superhero fatigue has hit. Honestly, of all the superhero films that have come out this year, this one just had. At a certain point, it had the energy of this is not a superhero film. This is a Guardians film. Yeah. And it and it handles it incredibly well, to the point where like James Gunn again, the man now is fucking the head of DC's comic (laughs) like superhero film, right? Superhero media division at a certain point. He comes back to do this film and arguably, in my opinion, ends my favorite trilogy of the MCU Uh. and really just captures why the first film is so good, why the second film handles it so well, and why the third film is just, it ends it on such a bittersweet note of being like, it is a bit of an end of an era, and that's okay, eras should end to a degree. yeah, And I think... The cast kills it in the film the deal drops are just as good as they've always been there are surprise choices uh acting wise that you never knew until you'd go watch the film will poulter is the one that comes to mind a lot <laughs> uh there's an incredible villain out of uh you know shabuki uh, shabuki Shiku- yeah. uh, who is fucking kills it and of course in a year where this man is just really excited to tell everyone about the Leonard Bernstein biopic that he <laughs> directed and wrote and started, Bradley Cooper fucking kills it as a goddamn talking raccoon. And it's genuinely a performance that made me cry three separate times the three <laughs> times I saw it in theaters. Yeah. And that's not nothing. Like, again, like this not being in most people's lists is understandable. I get it. But I think to me, You know, Guardians 1, at the time that that came out, was a film that, like, I was already invested in Marvel, but that was the first time there was a personality in a Marvel film that I just hadn't seen in another, in a Marvel film at that point. Yeah. The second film felt like it was Gunn digging his heels even more into that personality and not caring about what was happening before or after his film. It's like, this is his film but it doesn't take away from the whole cinematic universe aspect of it. Yeah. Well, Volume 3 feels like it is almost a necessary end to something that should have, you know, it it's right to end in in some way <sighs> shape or form. Doesn't mean the Guardians won't show up in future films. They there are rumors that they could, yeah. but it's not going to be the same some team. Some of them, yeah. And I think it's you know, it ends the series, ends the the original Guardians team in a way that is just it, at a certain point when I watched that film like to me it, it it superseded like any thinking about like oh I can't wait to see where the, the Guardians come back after this so right, like oh my right, god right. where's Rock I I couldn't give half a shit when I was yeah, watching that just
1: glad to have such a just, uh, resonant final yeah, note for them.
0: Because most Marvel trilogies don't have the Most of them
1: aren't like trilogies as we think of no, trilogies. Because no. they're they're just they just happen to be three movies focused on that character. Yeah. Like there the, are kind of exceptions to that, but
0: Yeah, because the the two other trilogies I could think of in the Marvel universe that are interesting enough that I feel like we could do a whole episodes on are Cap's trilogy. Uh-huh which is getting its fourth film in the next few years, which is having its own fresh air problems. Right. And the home trilogy. Yeah. But a lot of that also is those two trilogies are so odd and interesting is because, like, one basically doesn't get a finale because his story doesn't end until Endgame. game. So yeah. it's kind of like this. Yeah. It's like the softest version of, like, a trilogy ender for clearly this is not the right, true end. Right, And then the other is a character that was added late in the game in Civil War got his introduction in civil war and so like if you really want this character's full story you gotta watch right. the team-ups yeah. on top of that and while i think no way home ends it incredibly well mm-hmm. and it's one of the best fireman films you've ever gotten it still is like it's still weird it still has an asterisk next to like <laughs> yeah. you said trilogy yeah. and this is the first one where i think like if you want to go one two three three is definitely going to it tries its best to catch you up, but it is going to be a little bit of a craziness to be like, oh, Gamora is yeah, not why the same. Yeah,
1: why are all these characters yeah. different? But yeah. I
0: will say that, like, the you know, the third time I saw this film, I saw this with Adam and his girlfriend, and he hadn't seen Thor for Love and Thunder, which technically has the Guardians in it. Yeah, right. Doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it is, you go in, if you love these characters, you go into three. I think there's something for you in there in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, Volume three is my. Number eight pick, my first of a uh, choice of interesting picks that I think that are going (laughs) to maybe make some people raise eyebrows. How about you? What is your number eight?
1: Um, My number eight um, is How to Blow Up a Pipeline, written and directed by Daniel Goldhaber. I
0: knew you watched it. I didn't know you liked it that much. Now I have to watch it.
1: It's a really great uh, pressure cooker movie Mm -hmm. that I think think, –
0: God, neon killed it this year. Oh man, such a banger year for neon. (laughs) Um,
1: And uh, yeah, but but how to blow up a pipeline is uh, one part big heist movie, basically, or you know, a kind of bomb plot movie. It's more of a heist than a bomb because they're not trying to defuse a bomb; they're trying to set off a bomb. Yeah. Um, And another part, really engaging, kind of all sides encompassing political commentary on uh you know the corporate industrial meddling in people's everyday lives uh, mm-hmm. and the the fallout and <clears throat> negative impacts of you know these uh, large corporations doing horrible destruction to the environment and how that affects everyday people as a result um and ba- basically the premise is a, a group of people in this small Um, kind of rural I think it's Montana or North Dakota or something town Um, a pipeline is built through their community and the film kind of peppers throughout each of these people's personal stories and how they're affected by this and why they hate it so much and ultimately these people find each other I mean when the film starts they've already found each other Mm -hmm. they've, they've made this little group and they kind of they get talking and their their hatred for this pipeline for this oil company drives them to the point where they're like, Okay, legislation's not getting pushed through. Nobody's listening to us. Mm-hmm. We can't vote this out of existence. We have one option, and that's to destroy it. And so here you have these relatively ordinary people from all different walks of life. There's a guy in here who's like, your blue collar, good old boy but hates Mm -hmm. the pipeline because it's fucking up his family farm. Yeah. Uh, You know, and then you've got super politically active, like left leaning people who are like community activists and that sort of thing. And they're all coming together. These, these all different people with one mission, which is to just fucking carry out this really extreme radical act of destruction. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome. I mean, it's, I'm glad to hear it. Honestly, the energy is there throughout the energy of like, you know, a bomb, A bomb movie, you know, whether it's, like, Hurt Locker or whatever, where he's trying to defuse the bomb and all that sort of thing. Um, That tension is there the entire time, and somehow it still, like, stops and gives you flashbacks to, like, flesh out each character's backstory, and it Mm -hmm. never once loses steam doing that. That's, Which is uh, really impressive, God. Again. especially because I don't mm. think Daniel Goldhaber has another feature to his name. I think this That's is his impressive, debut, then yeah. um, at least directorially. Um, and uh, I gotta watch yeah, it. Now. It's just awesome. The score is amazing. I can't oh remember the Lord. guy's uh, name, but it's it's just this really uh, kind of heartbeaty, thumpy synth score that just mm. kind of like drives you through it, and it's okay. awesome. Love
0: again. It. That was one I had to cut because I was like, yeah. I just didn't have enough time to see it. But yeah, I, <laughs> I was telling my parents about like, oh yeah, we gotta, I got I at least you know six films I want to watch before we get to this. Uh, we watch this, watch that. I could watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline, but you know, and my dad yeah. went, "Isn't that? Didn't we see a trailer for that before Cocaine Bear?" Right. And I was like, "Yeah, we did, didn't we?" While and I was like, "Also, what a weird." <laughs> <laughs> what a weird trailer to have before like Universal's big old <laughs> yeah. like ah bear eats cocaine yeah wow, what wackiness which again that film coming out in february too <laughs> right <laughs> so right. the long of the year it was but yeah i'll have to fucking watch it please do that's awesome uh number seven is number seven. another weird one on mine at least to those out from the outside but if you've seen this film i'm about to talk about you know exactly probably why I've had this on there especially if you've listened for a while. We did a trilogy on this specific uh king of his own right <laughs> and you know he is he is a he is a creature that is in you know embedded in Japanese cinema since the 50s. He's actually this year is his 70th anniversary, I believe. Wow. And you know going into this film last year, I was not expecting I was expecting to have a good time, but you know it's hard to really do this guy in modern day and get, you know, a new cult, a new classic out of him. Mm-hmm. But holy fuck, uh, Takashi Yamazaki's Godzilla minus one fucking <laughs> rules. Yeah, it does. And has the best human plotline, genuinely, of any Godzilla film I've seen. Yeah, like it is. It is so simple in terms of how. You all—it's one of those films when you start to see, like, immediately who the lead is, who his friends are, who the love interests are. You just go like, "No, this is this is way too easy. This is so simple. Like, this makes sense in the world, but also like, yeah. how the fuck have we not already seen this in a Godzilla film? Because yeah. another thing too that's fucking phenomenal about this film, because the original Godzilla film takes place when it's supposed to come out so like 1953 1954 so it's been about a decade since the end of world war ii Mm -hmm. godzilla minus one is called minus one because (laughs) godzilla shows up two years after world war ii when got when japan is currently in a quote-unquote minus one state where they have no they have no army. Yeah, involved. where they're basically
1: at, at like, zero yes. from the war. And then Godzilla shows up and makes it a, a minus one. one situation. And
0: it's basically a just torn Japan after a horrific war yeah. trying to figure out how the fuck do we fight a radioactive lizard if we don't have an army. Mm-hmm. And the film, not only is that enough to, like, get us into the theater and be like, okay, I can't wait to fucking see how they do this. The way that they answer that question is genuinely emotional. It's phenomenally Mm. well done. It's phenomenally well paced. The direction, oh my God. Again, in an era where every big budget fucking film is constantly berated with articles about like, how did they spend $300 million to make and shit like that? And Godzilla Minus One just fucking comes out with just some of the best effects I've seen in a film in the last year. And the director went, 15 million? I wish I had that. Like, he just, like, outright says, like, a lot of what he had. Yeah. Like, the the amount, you know, Godzilla's design is scary. Yeah. And it's scary in a different way than the last Godzilla film. Shin Godzilla was scary. It is scary almost in a more, not necessarily realistic, cause again, it's a giant radioactive lizard, but it feels like in terms of... Uh just his look, his feel, it's like if this is a Godzilla you want to build a franchise off of for a few more films, yeah. They found a way to fucking do it and yeah. make it in, like immediately interesting. G-
1: yeah, Godzilla's design in this is a lot more traditional than Shin Godzilla. Yes. Um but it does this it has this weird way of being simultaneously like faithful to the physical uh, yes. foam rubber suits yeah. of the old movies, in the way it moves and the way it's shaped, but also being this like terrifying behemoth uh, that that almost feels you know like the, like this real monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like Shin does a great job of making Godzilla terrifying. Yes, but he's also like almost not a conscious creature. He's like a he's like no. a hive of cells or something yeah, you know that he... happens to have to come together, and he's this miserable a primordial existential being.
0: Yeah, he's scary because he seems like he's pretending to be a dragon. Right. And this this
1: feels like Godzilla's a a guy. He's a big old dude, big old monster man who just is angry and wants to fuck shit up. And you
0: also, again, Minus One also is bold enough to not be like, oh, this is a sequel to the original film. No, you... See what Godzilla looks like, yeah, before he becomes Godzilla, and that design is also fucking awesome. Yeah, he's basically like a T Rex. Yeah, it's it's so with arms. It's so well done, and again, it's like after seeing Shin all those years ago, and just like kind of watching the legendary Godzilla films, which are a lot of fucking fun, and I enjoy yeah. those films. But it is at a point where it's like, you know, if Toho wants to bring back Godzilla, how are they going to do it? And after seeing minus one, I was like, okay. Make five more of these and then we have a new era and then you can go take a break and then find another person to do another minus one because this movie is fucking great. Yeah, it genuinely is great to the point where like, you know, Godzilla fans, I think, are eating eating good right now. We're eating so fucking well. Especially, like, you know, when this episode comes out, like, there is a fucking Apple TV show about fucking Legendary's Godzilla. (laughs) And it actually is finally tied up in a way that it's, like, been genuinely fun. Hmm. And it's like, fuck, okay, we're getting a decent, we're getting a good show in a Godzilla universe. We're getting a good Japanese Godzilla. And we're going to get a batshit Godzilla Kong film (laughs) later this (laughs) year. Like It's great being, like, a monster fan right now. And it is, like the fact that I feel like I can recommend this film to people who are not into monster films and understand why it's so good. Because again, the human aspect of this film is Yeah. It's ingrained.
1: just a great story of like perseverance in the most extreme adversity. Yeah. Cause most um,
0: human characters in Godzilla films are usually trying to introduce, you know, like the new, the new thing of this film where it's like, Oh, this time Toho spins a wheel and it's like, this film is going to be sci-fi. So yeah. we need a journalist. We need someone who is into alien stuff. We need that. But ultimately, most human ch- characters end up just being on top of a hill watching Godzilla do all the work. Yeah, they're just kind While, of stuck just to
1: mm-hmm. give it some narrative yeah. momentum. Well,
0: the best Godzilla films are when the humans are actively involved in either stopping the monster or helping the monster. Yeah. And I think in this one it shows just the, the human ingenuity that is – Arguably so much more optimistic and so much more just hopeful than Shin could ever be if it if, if it even tried to be. It never did. <laughs> it was more Shin was cynical and realistic. Yeah. And I think bleak. it was needed. It was bleak. And while well, this one is more of the uh it's yeah, it's more optimistic and it's more of a, a crowd pleaser in mm-hmm. a good way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's my number seven pick. How about you? Nice. My number seven
1: is uh also a japanese film um directed by the great hirokazu koreda um who gave us uh shoplifters oh and um last year he gave us brokers um i don't know if you saw that
0: is that was that the song kong ho one
1: yes yeah
0: oh he had another film out this year
1: uh, that was last year. I mean, that was 2022. Brokers mm-hmm. was 2022. That's what I mean, yeah. Uh, um, okay. And then, uh, yeah, 2023, he has Monster. Um oh, Which okay. is a, uh, it's a little, um, gosh, how do I describe it? It's kind of a, I mean, it's basically just like a little slice of life drama uh, focused on these these two kids, young kids growing up um, in Japan and, uh It's it starts out as as kind of focused from the his mother's perspective. And she goes to school or she's called to school to have a meeting with the teacher about how her son is like beating up kids and bullying people. Mm -hmm. And he's a real problem at school. And she's like, my son is not like that. He's super sweet. He would never blah, blah, blah. You know, they get into this dispute. Then the film progressively, as it moves on, shifts perspectives and so no. you see the kid's perspective, mm-hmm. you see the kid's best friend's perspective, you see the teacher's perspective and y- throughout the film you're you're watching this thinking okay I know what type of movie this is. I know what the central conflict is, what the movie's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And then the film shifts to a different perspective and becomes a totally different movie and you're like oh I did not think that's what this movie was about. And then it does that three more times. What is this? This movie switches perspective, I think, four times. And each time is like a different story, like a totally different story, but all around the same events. I guess it's, you know, you could say it's kind of a Rashomon thing, but it's more in like, there's no framing device. Mm -hmm. There's no like, and this is what happened. And then this guy's perspective, and this is what, it it all just kind of, uh, you know, dances around Mm -hmm. these different viewpoints. And it's a really just beautiful depiction of how um you know ignorance to one another's situation is kind of um it, it's it's opposite to empathy and the more you understand about someone and the more you understand about what they're going through the better you're going to understand who they are and why they're doing what they do and you're going to be able to solve more problems that way yeah um it's a lot of the
0: importance of empathy
1: the importance of empathy and the importance of knowing one another and and trying to trying to see the best um and yeah it's just a really brilliant i can't say too much more without like spoiling stuff because i'm sold um but yeah it's it's just a really gorgeous quiet contemplation of empathy and understanding and growing up and you know, trying to to be, um, you know, a good partner or friend or colleague or whatever to someone else, being somebody else's something I'm uh, genuine, in a meaningful way.
0: I'm glad to hear that. I'm genuinely surprised yeah. I've not heard about that film. Actually, I think I literally heard about it this morning because I think Litterbox Year in Review in their top 10, like most talked yeah. about films of the year. I think that was on there. Yeah. And when I it's saw that, I was like, the fuck is that? But now that you're talking about, uh, that sounds again, sounds <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah. I would. And
1: I mean, I would liken it. I know there was a popular movie, I think in 2022, maybe around festivals, awards season um called Close. It was a Belgian film, hmm. French language, Belgian film. Yeah, There's about two kids growing up and how they contend with tragedy. It's kind of like that, but I thought it was a lot better because it actually delves into the psyche of the characters and isn't just like content to just sit and be sad for two hours. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, Monster by uh, Hirokazu Koreeda.
0: Gotta add that to the list. Damn, I gotta watch Shoplifters and Broker too. So yeah, and again, I need to watch Shoplifters mm-hmm. again because you know, we we are we are <laughs> so, we're a Song Kung Ho house over here, <laughs> uh, and so Broker is definitely on that list and Monster as well. Well, hell yeah. Yeah, um, number six for Oops. me is Celine Song's Past Lives. Oh, nice. Here's the thing about romance films out there, everybody. You would think you go, no, Logan. Logan likes Fast and Furious. He can't love romance films. Well, guess what? I fucking, I am down with a good romance film. Yeah. I'm even more down when it's great. And holy shit, is Past Lives again? Because we were talking about uh, with How to Blow Up a Pipeline and just with other films like, like just a good a, a, a good directorial debut is already just nice. but if it's phenomenal, yeah, it's it is it just like makes you go, I just want I want three films by this person by next week. yeah, <laughs> like its and past lives is one of those films where it's like this is a romance film that dives deep into, you know, our perception of love, you know, the interconnectivity of, you know, old souls and also like jumping between languages cultures age like this is a film that is spans 24 years of uh, a relationship between basically they were childhood sweethearts in korea and then the little girl moves to canada and then you kind of watch their relationship change over the span of 12 like increments of 12 years yeah and you ultimately, where the film ends up being, and if you watch the trailer, this is not a spoiler. You can see this in the trailer. But you basically see these two reconnect for the first time in person in 24 years. So they are basically taking their perceptions of one another from like when they were 12 to kind right. of apply to how they are as 36. Yeah. And the idea of past lives, the uh, conversation about Indian. And, you oh, know, yeah. like Korean kind of, you know, the sensibilities of, you know, you know, lovers in a past life or where we are in the future, as well as the the conversation in general about just um, there's a there's a great there's a great line that just like just sent a chill down my spine where it's um, someone just says, like, you know, you like you talk you talk in Korean while you sleep yeah. and the lead goes, I do. And the <laughs> her husband goes, yeah. And I just realized, like at that point, there's just a part of your life I can't, I can't, I can't go to. Right. And it's just like hearing shit like that, where it's like, this is a film that could be, you know, if you watch the trailer, and you'd be like, oh, this could be easily pretentious. It could be, but yeah. it isn't. It, it's yeah. It's it's earnest. It's whole. It is wholeheartedly a beautiful romance film that is not the basic boy meets girl, no. boy and girl shouldn't get together. It it is. There's so much more intricate. Like in you know, subtlety to it, more, int- like, the intricacies well, between yeah. relationships. I mean, it's a
1: whole movie about, like, the nuances of, old, like, not only growing up, but, like, you know, what it means to, to have been something to someone. Yeah. And maybe you aren't anymore, or maybe you are, but that something has changed, or, you know, to have loved someone, and you still love them, but...
0: Or loving an idea uh, of somebody, yeah, yeah. and... Um, this is, the
1: the way we kind of – I think it does a really – it's a really mature look at, like, kind of young love and how that informs our adult love. Yeah. And the the bittersweetness that lies in between being with someone and not being with someone and moving on past someone.
0: Yeah. And it, it, um, it's also just in terms of a love story, in terms of a romance film – this is genuinely a romance film that feels like, while I feel like future generations are going to be able to watch this and love this the same way as, you know, something like When Harry Met Sally or, like you know, how One Car wise films have aged so well decades later. Ultimately, this is a film that just feels like you couldn't have made it until now, where it's about millennials dealing with their ideas of love, of life, of what matters, of, you know... Yeah. It, it it's so much different than like what you'd expect from a like in your mind a classic romance film because most classic romance films are either about boomers going into like their twenties or thirties when that film came out or like Gen Xers going yeah. through that in their twenties or thirties and now we're seeing romance films about millennials in their thirties trying to you know I talk about the idea because the the lead Greta Lee who if she gets an Oscar nom props yeah she deserves it she's phenomenal in the film. She's a woman who is driven by her passion for her job, her her life, and wanting to, you know, she has a goal that she's going to go for, and damn it, she's going to go for it. And there's just an aspect of her character that just feels like, if this was made in '93 rather than 2023, <laughs> this it this would feel alien
1: entirely, yeah.
0: But since it's a different generation, especially a generation that is hitting it's hitting their 30s, it is it is fascinating to watch this and just feel how modern but how classical it feels as well in certain yeah. aspects and how beautiful it handles certain aspects of the cinematography, the 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 aspect of like the amount of space between especially right, right. you know, when they're kids, when like their final meeting is, is so integral to what ultimately leads to like you know, the finale of the film. And phenomenal moments there and it's a film that like, yes, I have seen very recently. It was one film I've been wanting to catch up with for a while, but it has stuck with me Yeah. in the days I've, since I've seen it. And I think that matters. And I think it's something where it's like, Oh, thank fuck a great romance film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, interestingly enough, it's got the DNA of all three films of the before trilogy in it. Yes, um, it, yes. it's almost kind of, uh, in a very, you know, Different way, kind of speed running that whole oh, yeah. arc, and also telling a different side of it. Where because you know in the Before trilogy, it's this couple that's together the whole time, and in mm-hmm. past lives they're not. Um, and it's also less wordy. It's, it's a, very much it's less wordy. It's a lot
0: more. F- it's more physical acting that is yeah. conveying the decades. Yeah, this, of wanting the, to say this. Literally,
1: uh, the like the distance between these people in yeah. the silence. There um, is
0: God. There is just so many moments where it's. Uh, Greta Lee and TOU, where it's just like, I mean, the most, like, one of the most iconic moments from the film is just them in front of a Ferris wheel. And they just, like, fucking barely say anything to each other. Yeah. They're just looking at one another, trying to gauge where, what each one of them is trying to get out of, like, meeting right. like this for the yeah. first time in years. And yeah, it's, oh, God. Very much a lot of before trilogy energy to it as well, yeah. but in, in its own unique way. And Celine's song. I don't know what she's doing after this film, but I'm hundred percent on board, yeah, I, I don't think she has anything planned, but i do <laughs> I did tell you that she's currently dating uh is it justin riitzkiski who yeah. is uh we we both know because one of Andy's favorite YouTube videos is called <laughs> potion Seller. yeah,
1: hold on to that thought because yeah. he'll come back up later yes, in this episode I
0: bet he will yeah, um, but yeah, uh, past lives is number six. I can't wait to watch it again. Andy, <laughs> what is your number six?
1: Uh, my number six, the the middle the middle portion of our top ten is very uh, very eastern influence. Lots of I, lots of I Asian know. voices shocking. being heard. Uh, my number six is <laughs> shocking. Um. Uh, well,
0: it's well because I think it's like because in my head when I think of our top tens. I'm expecting like two or three that we both have on there. Yeah, sure. And so far, it has so far we have
1: very little overlap.
0: Yeah, it's it's shocking because we have both Eastern influences, but they're not the same. Vastly different. and and I love that. I love that.
1: Um, Though this one, this may not be the last time it's mentioned. I'm I'm wondering. My number six is Perfect Days.
0: Ooh. It's not, it's not the last time it's going to be. Okay, up. <laughs> um,
1: this is directed by Wim Wenders, the longtime yeah. German uh, filmmaker. I
0: totally did not look up how to pronounce his name right before we. <laughs> I knew it had to be Wim Wenders because he's German, but right. like in my head, I was like, if it's fucking Wim Wenders, the uh, one fucking time I think it, I got to make yeah. sure. <laughs> um, if
1: if you don't recognize the name, he's probably most known for Paris, Texas, Texas mm-hmm. and uh, Wings of Desire. Oh, that's um, right. He did Wings of Desire, which I have not seen Wings. I have seen Paris, Texas this but this dude is i mean he's the kind of filmmaker who's he's been constantly making films for decades most mm-hmm. of them are not you know getting big notoriety you, you know, know they may play at festivals well, he's, but he's
0: also he's, a painter yeah a he's
1: just a just an artist uh, yeah. through and through and yes his new film uh, perfect days is a japanese language film set in japan starring mm-hmm. um Uh, Koji Yakusho who I knew from the 1997 uh what's his name uh something something Kurosawa but not Akira Kurosawa uh the other Kurosawa uh film Cure Cure. um which
0: you saw in theaters this year with uh, yeah I
1: saw it for the first time in 2022 got to see it uh fortunately on the big screen uh last year um but yes, Koji Yakusho, Kiyoshi Kurosawa is the name of the director oh, who yes. directed yep. Cure, mm-hmm. which stars Koji Yakusho, who also stars in Perfect Days, as um, a toilet cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a he's a uh, kind of public service worker who cleans the, the very inventive, innovative public toilets of Tokyo. I,
0: I gotta say, yeah, because again, this is not going to be the last time we talk about Perfect Days, because it is on my list, but I will say that the... Very simple caveman part of my brain constantly kept being like, "How the fuck do they have such? Their toilets are so cool." Yeah. Why? Why Why don't why the, we have that? Why the fuck do they have public bathrooms that are built in a way that they are see through until you lock the door and then it goes cloudy? So you right. Can't... And they're also different colors. Right. Like they're the colors of like the '90s max. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's fascinating. It's so cool.
1: The, the difference in uh, infrastructure yes, and, and, yes. uh, social priority, um, shown in this film because like, yeah, in America, when we think of like public toilets or any sort of public service, we know it's going to be like cheap, badly maintained, especially in America, <laughs> dirty. ugly Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. what I mean in America, yeah, in America, for um, sure. you know, ugly, filthy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be involved with it. I don't want to help fix it. um, and in Japan, it's like yeah, they got the the nicest bathrooms. They're incredible. They got bidets. They got bidets. They got like Public all the different with yeah fucking bidets. Yeah, and it's incredible. And and basically, this film follows, um, this guy uh, I can't remember his Hirayama. Hirayama. Yeah. Um, this toilet cleaner who just he spends every day. He gets up early in the morning, goes and cleans toilets all over his area of Tokyo, um, and then. Uh, just kind of chills out and he he's not making a lot of money obviously as a toilet cleaner he doesn't have a lot going on socially in his life but basically we're just taken through a few consecutive days one day after the other i think of, it's like
0: about a week yeah Maybe it's like a week
1: yeah five five to seven days probably um and As each day plays out, we kind of see each day play out in full, and you sort of see the cycle of gets up in the morning, goes to work, does his routine, blah blah blah. Um, You just the film peppers in little bits more and more about him. You learn more about his history without without ever you know spelling out exactly how he got here or uh, his whole life story. It's just kind of like. It's just enough to inform you of who he is yeah. and why he is. Um
0: It it is a film that I can see if like if you're trying to show this to somebody, I can see someone just being like, Is this gonna be the whole film? And you're just yeah. gonna be like, Yes, but just calm down. Right. Pay yeah. attention. It's, <laughs> it's important. It's, right. It's not a
1: film that is like uh, you know, c- roller coastering you or conveyor Fuck, belting no. you through this man's life. It's very slow and contemplative I will say there was a point probably an hour into the film where I, I did think like okay so is this the entire film is this just are we just doing one day after the other and the film does start to kind of pepper in bigger and bigger pieces and more yeah. more kind of dramatic dynamics with other characters more philosophical it, kind and of more philosophical um, and other other people in his life also become more involved in the story as it goes on. So it's not just him going about his day. It's his day being interrupted by these other things. Um, but yeah, it's just a really fascinating kind of rumination on appreciating, observing, taking time in the like small mundane pleasures of life. Yeah. Um,
0: the best way I've seen someone describe it. Cause once I saw it, I was just trying to, I was like, what else are people saying about it? Like someone, I think it was a Reddit post where it was like, "This is like, this should be considered like the prime example of meditative cinema." Yeah, yeah. Like it, it is so. It's such a vibe film. Right. And it's not in a way it's that the sliciest like, of slice of life. Oh films. my god! <laughs> and it's it's just perfect in doing that. And
1: yeah. Like it, no, nothing, nothing monumental happens to Hirayama in this film. No. Um. You know, there, there, it's it's not like the most critical moment of his life that we're observing no it's just it's just kind of another week in his life and yeah there are things that happen that you know move him or devastate him or please Mm -hmm. him or whatever but it's not this is the opposite of a melodrama
0: yeah Uh, the opposite of
1: an opera you know it's it's uh and it's gorgeous stunning to look at um the the photography of it and Koji Yakusho. It's one of my favorite performances of the year. He deserves a fucking it's Oscar nomination. So reserved and quiet, but you can like. <laughs> my favorite parts of the movie are just when he's he's like driving to work. Yeah, and it's just this small smile. Yeah, awkward's not the right word, but it's like you almost you you like blink and you're like, wait, did he did he just like make a little like micro smile expression that I missed? You know, it's like, was that an accident or was that on purpose? You know, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's just, yeah, these tiny little moments of him. He's just kind of happy at life, or like happy by the song that comes on, yeah, or whatever. You know, and it's just beautiful.
0: You gotta, you gotta follow Hirayama's steps. You gotta drink plenty of water, <laughs> listen to classic rock, right, and take pictures when you can. Yeah, he's uh,
1: he's got his little. Uh, yeah, was it Fujifilm Olympia yes. or whatever? Mm-hmm. His little little film camera, it's I'm, great. I'll
0: don't worry, we'll, we'll bring it back up. Cool, but yeah, but yeah that's I'm, my I'm, number six. I'm glad it's on your list because it just des- I mean it deserves. I don't, oh God. Now that we've been talking about Perfect Days too, especially because I also watched, it didn't make my top ten, but Anatomy of a Fall. Oh yeah, which I thought was great. That was a good I movie. really enjoyed that film, and now I'm just thinking, like, fuck, what is the best foreign language film category going to look this year? <laughs> yeah, we got some bangers from this year that I'm curious. To I see. hope Perfect Days gets that I kind of attention. I, I don't know it that it too. has.
1: I didn't even know about it until like, oh, maybe a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. I just like I saw a trailer for it.
0: I think you probably saw the same time I did, which was Boy and the Heron.
1: Maybe so, because yeah, that's yeah, when yeah, I yeah. heard about it. Yeah, because I was sitting with Adam yeah. watching it, and I was like. Yo, that's the guy from Cure because we had watched Cure mm-hmm. together. He's like, "Oh, it is."
0: <laughs> I was some... like, "I didn't
1: know that," and I I saw the title. I was like, "Oh, that's on my my Neon screener book." I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even give that the time of day. Now yeah. I gotta watch it.
0: And there's yeah, there's 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 still yet yeah, not only has Neon killed it last year, it's still got some few films that have yet to be released, mm-hmm. and I think they're getting because I think they just released a trailer for Robot Dreams, their animated film. Yeah, that's getting yeah. Uh, I think a release in January or February. But, yeah, Perfect Days, great choice. Um, my number five is probably going to be, is I think, is the last film on this list that is going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, I don't think it's going to surprise you because I'm pretty sure, even though we didn't see this together, I'm pretty sure we're pretty much on the same side of this. Uh, my number five film is a 9.5 out of 10. It is the <laughs> closest of all the films I've seen this year that is to a 10. So, like, in terms of, like, 9.5s, it's this film and past lives. But this film was a film that, you know, when this was announced that this was coming out, both Andy and I, when we talked about it, because we were both fans of this franchise, we were both worried about how the fuck are they going to do this again? Because at this mm. point, they are very f- many films in. They've announced they're going to do a spinoff that apparently comes out this year. <laughs> it's, it's a film that... They also announced it was nearly three hours long. Yeah, which is like holy fuck! How the fuck are you gonna keep that momentum the entire time? And you know what they do? Because my number five pick is the probably the best action film, live action action film we've gotten all year, and that is Chance to John Wick <laughs> Chapter Four, baby. Yeah, John Wick fuck Chapter yeah. Four is by far a testament to a. A, it was initially a duo with uh, was it David Leach, David, David Leach and Ch- yeah. Chaz Stahelski. It was initially seeming like you know two uh, stuntmen and stunt coordinators yeah. who had basically seen the, almost like a bit of a decline in action. Being able to reinvigorate it with Keanu Reeves as John Wick has now almost come to a point where Chaz Stahelski has now made I would say one of the best action films made by American cinema. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Because not only is the action phenomenal, not only is the action varied, not only is the cinematography varied, not only do they do shit late in the fucking film that you go, how the fuck did they want to do this right now? And why is it still so good and it still fits in this world? Yeah. It also tells, in my opinion, out of all the films... The best John Wick story we've gotten so far, for sure. And it is a story that, you know, I I think we might be getting five. It's it's a it's, weird yeah, it it's, limbo. It's
1: this weird situation where the studio keeps telling us we're getting five, even though Stahelski and Reeves told us before the movie came out they were like, "This is all we got." Yeah. Um. So now it's, it's like, well, maybe
0: they'll make them do it. Um, I don't know. But like, four. They don't need to. But no, if they, they
1: don't. do,
0: I'm there. Because, again, 4 is the type of film we are, we are in an age where, you know, 10, 15 years back, if you told someone that a film was three hours long, you'd say, that's cool. I'm never going to watch it. <laughs> and now we're at a point where John Wick Chapter 4 is 2 and 45. Yeah, yeah. 2 hours and 45 minutes. And the uh, 45 to the last hour of the film uh, is pure adrenaline. It doesn't yeah. fucking stop. Right. It is, and it doesn't tire you out (laughs) at least not as much as you think they would and if it does tire you out it's on purpose because you're supposed to feel as fucking tired as John Wick at that point yeah because John Wick is fucking tired in this movie because the last hour is basically a ticking time bomb situation like just the clock and it is also a situation where this is a film that has (laughs) you know a bunch of you know big action stars it has a bunch of actors that most people probably haven't seen before or people that are like still up and coming and like Making a good impression in a film that is dominated by Keanu Reeves and at times Donnie Yen. Yeah. You also have, you know, Ian McShane back. You have Bill Skarsgård being just a real piece of shit. Right. And you have, of course, um, everyone's favorite Mr. Krabs, Clancy Brown, just like being there. (laughs) Just being there. Which is great. But it's Clancy Brown thing. Again, uh, the John Wick series has always been very interesting because I know there's a lot of people out there. Who have had a hard time believing that the series has gone to this point from a film that basically is about a man who's mad that someone killed his dog and stole his car. Yeah. I understand that. This, it is, it is, even though it is, a lot of people understand, like, yeah, I'd kill people if someone killed my dog. It is, it is a wild premise to run an action franchise on. <laughs> yeah. That being said, a lot of the reason why it's worked so far is because, you know, Stahelski has just committed to make stalski and reeves have committed to make a character that is just engaging with each film yeah even at its lowest points in like two and three it's hard not to be engaged with what they want to do what they're going for yeah how they're going like how the how they're committing and then with four it is just all cylinders yeah not only is reeves interesting but all the side characters have their own little moments uh they're still you would think the the little flares that they have in like the first film or the second film, you know, like colored subtitles for characters <laughs> yeah, yeah. or this and that, it, um, is still interesting. Is still stylish. I mean, yeah. it's, again, I still. Well, and
1: it's like just like each pre um, previous film in the franchise. It's like it's just dialing everything up and dialing everything in. Yes. Like yes. every every aspect of the film the cinematography the oh my god production design the choreography it's all just a little bit better like it's was, all just it's it's a weird thing i know several people who this was either their first john wick movie like the fourth insane. one or <laughs> i love that or they one. only watched the first one and then watch yeah. this one and it's like i mean i love i like i like you know i really enjoy this whole franchise but like you've reached the mountaintop. Absolutely. Like, this, this is as this is good as it gets. So, like, if you go back and yeah. watch, just, you know, put yourself in the frame of reference that you've seen, like, this, the culmination.
0: Yeah, this is the type of action film, especially for American action films, where it's like, whatever the Mountain Rushmore was before you saw John Wick Chapter 4, after you see Chapter 4, you probably will look at a film you've loved for years and be like, ah, you don't hold a candle to this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I have in the last year I finally have uh but I've been become a bit more of a snob in certain ways in terms of like you know 4K I've been buying some oh, things yeah. in 4K and not saying that you have to watch everything in 4K you absolutely don't no. but for me personally I will say as soon as I had the thought of oh John Wick Chapter 4 is probably in 4K I just I bought <laughs> all of them in 4K yeah, yeah. I was like I want to see these films just as crisp and just right. as pretty as possible because seeing 4 in theaters with a Our friends Austin and Patrick, it was like I was just, I was glued in the Mm -hmm. entire time. And I was like, I cannot fucking believe this movie is 2.46 and it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, It it doesn't stop. It is, again, it shows just how impactful pacing is because John Wick Chapter 4 should be if there are any film school classes about fucking pacing, that film needs to be watched right. to discuss that. Because it's insane. Because it's not a film that is just action, 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 yeah. action for 246. There is genuine character development and character moments that are in the action. well done. And also in the action. I'm just talking like in general, yeah. there are scenes that are like... You get backstory stuff on John that you've been getting in other films, but like you get probably the most we've had in a long time. Yeah. Since like the second one, I think. Yeah. And it is just a lot of fun to watch chapter four and be like, this is just, I can't wait to watch this film a hundred more times. And <laughs> yeah. that's the type of film you want on like a top 10 list. Right. And so, yeah, my number five is John Wick chapter four.
1: Cool. I have more thoughts on John Wick four, but I'll save them. Yes.
0: Um, okay, good. I love that. I love that. I love that.
1: <laughs> my number five is poor things. Yeah. yeah look at that. Yeah.
0: I love that. I'm glad you had higher than me. I love that.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't have a whole lot that I could add to, to what we already talked about, but I will say, um, to echo your thoughts about Mark Ruffalo, it's awesome. I mean, Emma Stone is the, is the, she's the from, crown of this yeah. film, and she's the whole reason that it works as well as it does. She's amazing. But I will say, my one thing I can say about poor things that I've not heard a lot of other people say about poor things is that Mark Ruffalo gives pretty much exactly the performance i would imagine nicholas cage would give in this I, film you, you have been pushing that a lot and i don't mean that to sound uh like i'm diminishing what mark ruffalo accomplished no, because no. to see that coming out of mark ruffalo's body is something else yeah and you know you know we we often talk about how uh You know, only this actor could have given this performance or whatever. And it's like, you know, because we're all individuals and every person does their own thing their own way. It is wild seeing this level of kind of weird and expressionistic and arrogant coming out of mark ruffalo yeah, mark, it's just awesome
0: because the man has like i mean he he had a fucking netflix series come out around the time poor things did all the light we cannot see yeah that is i think world war ii and that is super serious yeah it's it is the man is known for picking roles that he is invested in yeah and is usually they're very serious sometimes environmental f- films because he's a big environmental head which everyone should be right but it is interesting to see him pick a role that is just it just genuinely seems like what is the benefit to him in his career other than just to have mm-hmm. 11 out of ten fun yeah there's nothing about this performance that feels like he is doing it for like awards purposes this feels like this man is just he's yeah, he's going stretching he's stretching and having wild. fun
1: playing in the bin
0: I mean like yeah it's it's or a, in the playpen yeah it's it is a film where like he gives himself he gives himself to the to the material not as much as Emma because again, Emma Stone has to be fucking naked for yeah. a good <laughs> chunk of this film. She right. gives her entire soul it feels like to this role. and I think Murfalo does as best as he can to you know fight f- like find a way to be as in engaging without being the you know trying to take over the protagonist yeah, role right, and right to be honest, it is one of those things where it's like I never I did not know how much Ruffalo would be involved in the actual yeah. plot of poor things, but I'm so glad he is, because his fucking character, yeah. anytime he showed up, I was laughing, so yeah, yeah I think it's, yeah. a, But I, I I do agree with you though, it does have, it has that Nick Cage energy, yeah, um, for sure,
1: but I I just, yeah, I love the Love the film, I really enjoy Lanthimos, I haven't seen all of his films, like I said, I haven't seen Dogtooth, but I've seen The Lobster, I've seen The Favorite, have seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, I wasn't huge on Sacred Deer, um, Favorite was my, f- I really, really enjoyed The Favorite, loved The Favorite, um, I think Lanthimos' voice and style is a very singular thing, and I know it puts off a lot of people um, because of how just odd and kind of cold it is. What I think he really struck with poor things is he brings his weirdness and his kind of sick, perverse fascination with humanity Mm -hmm. and how people behave. Yeah, And he adds that bit of warmth this movie is so endearing and empathetic yeah it is and uh bella baxter is just this really compelling rootable hero for lack of a better word um that i think a lot of his previous films are kind of lacking they're kind of cynical and this film is not it it's certainly calling out things about Mm -hmm. you know society and gender relationships and that sort of thing but it's not a cynical movie. No, and it's as... a very um, kind of uh, ultimately uplifting and bubbly story. And I really think that was kind of the secret ingredient he needed to make something this just cool and lovable.
0: Yeah. It, it really is because it also is like most of Lanthimos' films do not end the way The Poor Things does.
1: No, yeah.
0: In a, in a way that is like, and that is nothing against those other films. Those other films handle those endings incredibly well, but especially like you know in the Favorites case. Yeah, which is why it's it was my favorite before Poor Things, and yeah, with Poor Things it is there is there is an there is an energy there that it feels like oh, if it's always been there from Lanthimos, I don't think it's ever been this apparent. It yeah, is yeah. pronounced and. Yeah, Yeah. it's such a good film. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend it again. Yeah.
1: Uh, Oh, we're officially, officially, we've broken into our top five. We
0: have, we have. And just to clarify from my number four onward, uh, numbers four through one are all 10 out of 10 films for me. (laughs) And the reason, and this is, the reason why they're set up this way is basically, number one is, Same for me. Yeah, number one is a 10 out of 10 because it was the first 10 out of 10 of the year for me. Number two was a ten out. Of, is number two because it was the second ten out of ten I saw. <laughs> so like it basically just like at since they're all ten out of tens, it in my opinion doesn't really matter where they are uh. because they all are just perfect films in vastly different ways. Sure. So it is one of those things where it's like from four onward, just keep in mind that these are films that I unequivocally recommend. Yeah, and so to start off. My number four, my first ten out of ten, I'm talking about is Vim Vender's Perfect Days. Nice. This film, I cannot. This is the perfect early morning film, and I mean that as a way of like when I watched this, I had a cup of coffee in my hand. The sun was oh, <laughs> the sun was coming up little by little, and it just was the perfect like wake up. It's your it's your day off. You watch this film, the the energy in this film is so delightful, but also has such a layer of sadness without taking over the happiness. <laughs> it is a film about regret at times. You get a lot of characters that are clearly there are things in their life that didn't go the way it's supposed to be planned, but yeah. the film is not outright telling you that. There are aspects to the main character. Uh, it was a Hirayama. Yeah. Uh, Hirayama's life with his family, because he has a family right. in terms of like his sister and his niece, and that whole aspect is not a huge part of the film. But when it does show up, in my opinion, it speaks volumes to everything we had seen at that point. Uh-huh. And to be completely honest, if you, if you gave, if I had a top ten of the best scenes of any films I've seen all year. The final scene in Perfect Days, the last shot of the mm, film, yeah. sent chills down my spine in a way that just connected. That very few films in the last year, even though there's phenomenal films last year, have connected in that way. Yeah. It strikes a it's chord. Gorgeous. It strikes a chord. The needle drop. Oh my fucking god! The needle drop at the end of Perfect Days. A lot of good music in this movie. Yeah, because again, it's it's a Japanese toilet. It's Japanese custodian who loves classic American rock. Yeah, like
1: seventies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, there's literally a scene where he's trying to teach his daughter, his niece, how to say Van Morrison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like trying to slowly kind of piece it together, but it is a film that is a hundred percent just you sit there, you take it all in, and is a is a film about always being present. This right. is a film about if you're not always present just trying to be present. Like nothing describes this character better than the fact that this man has to be up early in the morning every day practically except for like one or two days a week and the thing that wakes him up is not an alarm. It is an old woman who like routine sweeps outside his window. Yeah. It is this man is so in tuned with his life that he doesn't need an alarm clock to wake up exactly when he needs to, yeah, And it I just know. shows just how in tune the film is with its character as well as the world itself. There's a there's a there's an energy and an aesthetic that you just. I wanted to just I wanted to drown myself. In that <laughs> yeah. and, and I will say, I do want to go to Japan. That is a dream yeah, of mine. Too. And it just is watching this film just made me like I was like God. I just wanted to like I like I wanted to drink the same coffee Hirayama was drinking. I wanted to like (laughs) his little canned boss coffee. Boss coffees, which you can buy on Amazon. I found out. (laughs) (laughs) I had to look it up. We found Logan's
1: Halloween uh, costume this year. I would fucking be Hirayama
0: because again, yeah, it's like Koji, like Andy said, there is a there is acting happening from him that is like he is the, the type of performance he's giving is one of those where it's like you have to fight for your fucking life to explain to people that just because he's not saying a lot doesn't mean he's not saying it's a lot it's
1: such a minute performance like de- like so the detailed
0: sta- <laughs> cuz like the stares he gives yeah. the si- the moments he decides to be silent yeah uh the mo- the times he's he moves faster than he usually does yeah. uh there is just there is a purpose The like three to lines he movie. has in the movie. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. There and the, and the side characters are a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, he has a he has a co-worker that was just the absolute worst, but I loved him every time he was yeah. on set. Yeah, a little dipshit. Every, yeah, he was. There is just there is an energy to this film that is just lacking in a lot of films that you usually get a lot of push for, and so to finally ha- see Neon pushing this film a little bit more, it probably is going to get a wider release in the next month or so. I mean, it's, um,
1: this, it's far and away like the most naturalistic cinema on our list here. Like just the detailed groundedness and and understatedness of it all. Yeah.
0: It's a film that like, I, I, again, I recommend to everyone listening to this to watch the film. It is a 10 out of 10, but it's also a film that like, I don't know if I fully could watch with someone else because the experience of just like, Ha- it's like it's like reading a good book. it's like fucking sitting in a chair yeah. reading a book not caring about what time it is. what are you gonna eat for dinner? what's tomorrow looking like it, it doesn't matter. what's happening right now is that you are invested in what you're doing. you're yeah. living in the moment to do something that you've wanted to do and just enjoy that moment for a while there. yeah and it also is like uh the film also ends like after all the credits it has a um it has a definition. Of like I can't remember because it's um, it was in Japanese and it kind of like shows and blinks and you miss it. But it's the definition of basically the the kind of the meeting of trees and wind and light hitting at just the right moment. Mm-hmm. And it very rarely happens, but it's like it's a blink and you miss. And it's clearly trying to fit into how Perfect Days is about just always being present. Yeah. Always being excited to like if you think you saw that, what's, what's the shame in going for it? Yeah. And I love that. This it, it is. There's something. There's nothing quite like this film from last year. Yeah, and I loved it. So yeah, that's my number four. Highly recommend. Can't wait to buy it on 4K. It's not getting a 4K. <laughs> <It's> probably not. <laughs> but I it might defin- get a Criterion I, Blu-ray. I will fucking buy that Blu-ray. Yeah. I that film could be an 8K, and I well, will fucking buy it just because.
1: I feel like neon stuff. I feel like they tr- they try to. I hope so. They try to get that stuff I'll, made by somebody, Criterion will, or somebody else.
0: I'll stand outside of a Best Buy as if I ever go to a Best Buy at midnight. If it's not in the <laughs> next like two weeks, it's not going to be at Best Buy because
1: <laughs> they're uh, shutting down their physical. Oh, media. I bet they are.
0: Um, uh, what's your number four?
1: Well, like you said, my number four is also all five star movies. Um, Hell yeah, Love I will that. say. I will say. I experience – Maybe I've just gotten more. Um, subjective in the way that i uh, think about ratings or the way i I rate movies or whatever but like oh yeah i five out of five movies and granted i love all four of these i'm not gonna i'm I'm gonna say everybody should watch and if anybody doesn't love these movies they're wrong um you know kind of unequivocally love like you said but i still feel like significant gradations in like my personal affection for all four of these films. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, that's that's a tangent, but it's like, yeah, these are all five out of fives. Love them. Yeah. Watch them.
0: Well, yeah. Just as a side tangent, like, yeah, this. I mean, what we're doing here is entirely subjective, and this is, right. this is the the most of this is because we have fun, retro, like in retrospect, looking at everything and just being like, what are favorites of the year? But also, yeah. it's like this is fun because we're telling. <laughs> you all about our favorite films of the year, as well as telling each other and just, like, getting to gauge just kind of how they felt about the same thing. Because, again, if it was objective, I should be mad that Andy didn't have perfect days at five out of five. (laughs) But that doesn't matter. I'm just glad that he has it in his top ten and he enjoyed it quite a bit as much as I did. And if I didn't,
1: the podcast would be over. (laughs) Of course.
0: That's That that would be the case. Um, No. Yeah,
1: yeah. so So I will say, my number four probably okay so i will say my top three i could probably switch around and be happy giving the number one spot to any of them this one i'll say is my quote-unquote weakest five star whatever that means i still I love this mean. movie i'll rewatch it endlessly my number four is spider-man across the spider-verse okay okay um, everybody loves this movie everybody loves into the spider-verse mm-hmm. you know this is this is probably one of my two major populist picks on this list. Oh yeah. Um I can see that. And uh yeah, I just love it. I, I mean I I love the first one just like everybody else does, but I honestly think Across is maybe a smidge better than Into the Spider-Verse. A lot I of people yeah. a lot of people I, I know there was a lot of uh well, you know, across the Spider-Verse it's a middle chapter. It's not a totally complete story. That's okay with me because for me, I felt like uh, the Gwen of it all was the real the real meat of mm-hmm. the story, and Gwen gets a pretty complete story in this. She gets a great arc, and it kind of caps that off for her emotionally before, or in the midst of giving you this cliffhanger to make you wait for the third chapter for, yes. for yeah. the rest of Miles' story on the the greater Spider-Verse story. Yeah. Um, but yeah just stunning animation somehow more gorgeous than the first movie which already shattered ground yeah, in the world of modern animation 3D animation my god uh this this film somehow pushes that boundary even further uh kind of like you you said about John Wick it's like each one of these movies is already like pushing the genre forward and then somehow this one just like outdoes itself um the the ways that it uses different visual styles different hand-drawn styles or polygonal styles to convey different emotions and scenes throughout the film is gorgeous gwen's world is gorgeous it's all like water and it's it changes color based on her emotions can, and all this shit
0: i can vividly see her i can vividly see all that yeah it's, it's just so it's so specific and yeah. the the blocking the yeah. music choices ah god the fucking soundtrack oh is great. soundtrack's
1: too. incredible um Haley, St- Haley Steinfeld is probably my favorite vocal performance of the year as Gwen. She's incredible. Oscar Isaac's great as uh, Miguel O'Hara. And, of course, Shamik Moore is great again, once again, at, as Miles Morales. It's just the cast, the directing, the pacing of it is gorgeous. The
0: action is killer. Yeah. Um, Schwartzman is the fucking spot. Yeah. yeah, Jeez. The spot is great. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. I just I couldn't imagine a more impressive follow-up to what was already such a stunning spider-man movie animated movie adventure film and this somehow it it ups that it brings in a little bit uh you know some slightly i don't know if darker is the right word but maybe more mature themes to it Mm -hmm. um that i i'm excited to see how they they continue to build on in the third film whenever that comes out in like four years um (laughs) and yeah it's just a just a stunning stunning movie and i love spider-man we both love spider-man yeah and so any great spider-man movie is going to really go a long way for me but i will say i think these these um spider-verse movies do a really good job of of encapsulating many different facets of what we love about the character which is kind of yes their power. Oh,
0: 100%. It's yeah. The more will be talked about later about that. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm I'm glad that uh, that's on you. I knew that was going to be on your list. I yeah. knew it. Now I'm curious to see what the other 3 are. <laughs> uh, my number 3, yeah, I believe is not on your list cuz you didn't love it as much as I did and that's, you know, subjectively fine, I guess. <laughs> but this is a film that this this writer director the last time I saw this guy with a new film, uh, it was the the it was this quite honestly the strongest five out of ten I'd seen in a while and was like well I hope the next film he does is much better than this and you know what Alexander Payne's The Holdovers oh, is yeah. so much fucking better than Downsizing yeah it's also probably one of my favorite Payne films it is it is again in in kind of the same vein a little bit. Like perfect days. It is a vibe film, but it's a specific vibe. It is Christmas in the seventies in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. It is it is a it's the type of film that takes place in Christmas, but it's not a film that you feel like you can only watch in Christmas because it's just like overbearing to be like, Oh my god, there's the trees, there's some music. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is this is a film that I'm gonna watch multiple times out of season. Maybe when it just like as soon as it starts getting cold in the fall. Putting this fucking thing on. Yeah. Like this is this is the film that is about just a stellar cast of like three people, mainly leading this film: Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, and mm-hmm. Dominic uh, Cesso. Cesso, who just take this film and really get the the energy of like the best of pain we've gotten and stuff like Election, The Descendants, like a Nebraska, a lot of the best elements from those films, and ultimately makes this it's delightful heartwarming film that has Giamatti basically giving a best actor performance Yeah. in a year filled with so many fucking people also doing the same thing as well as I mean this is the type of film where a handshake can bring you to tears like it is such (laughs) a phenomenal film that is so funny it's so well shot it was it was shot digitally but it's the best looking uh, digital to like yeah there's aesthetic. a ton of work put into make the it film grain. feel
1: like a yeah 1970s grainy little little slice yeah, yeah.
0: and it's just like i'm probably going to watch it tomorrow like it's <laughs> like it's it's like at this point both, it's so cozy yeah both uh, me and our uh, dear friend of the podcast austin um just like when we saw it in theaters i remember like we sat and I looked at him and I said I I don't know how you feel but that was that was perfect and he was like oh thank fuck you said that because I thought uh-huh. that too, and like when we were sitting in the theater he went I'm gonna be honest Logan if if we just sat here and the film just started up again I wouldn't leave <laughs> and I was like honestly yeah like this film just it just does you don't want to let it go like it's mm-hmm. such a delightful film and. It's perfect in my eyes and I hope Giamatti gets some recognition in the Oscars, which again, it's a strong year for a it lot is. of people, yeah. but yeah, the holdovers, I highly recommend fucking rules. You also yeah. get some phenomenal Paul Giamatti faces, which we've definitely <laughs> been using a lot in our group chats. <laughs> yeah. I
1: also highly recommend it. I think it's in my top 20. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it's such
0: you, a, yeah, you give it like a four out of five.
1: Yeah. I really love this movie. I think it's great. Um, just super warm-hearted, um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, just a just a great cozy vibe that I think it, it's fun. It's fun to have a movie that like is this. It's both this biting and vulgar, and yes. and kind of nasty at times, mm-hmm. but to ultimately be this great wholesome little you know um, yeah yeah. It's a it's a hug of a movie. -hmm. And I like, I don't love feel good movies, but I love this feel good movie because it doesn't have the trappings of other feel good movies where nobody's allowed to get hurt or be mean or whatever. Like, it it feels very (coughs) uh, raw.
0: Yeah. So, like, a hug of a movie is a great example, too, because I guess the best way I could describe it very easily is if you're somebody out there that loves Fall. You have a favorite sweater or you have a favorite few sweaters. The Holdovers is a favorite sweater of a film. This is a film that I think a lot of people are going to grow into as like whether they watch it as their new Christmas classic or just in general. Once it starts to get cold, oops, I just dropped my Holdovers copy and it went right into my (laughs) DVD player. Oops, (laughs) guess I'm watching The Holdovers right now. Yeah. Like that's the type of film it is. and. It's again, with all these top like my four through one being ten out of tens, these are all films that are like I'm gonna watch this a hundred times and mm-hmm. preferably with people who haven't seen it, so I can watch them just kind of enjoy it. Yeah. But yeah, what is your number three?
1: My number three, um is uh May December.
0: Oh my god. Yeah, did I you had, see this one? I had to cut it last yeah, had minute. To cut it. Okay. I was I I there's been these last few days for for people off the mic we have just like we've we've made jokes here and there about this and that and there's been some jokes where I've seen Andy make May December references and I go I wonder <sighs> if that'll make his top 10 so the fact that oh, your yeah. top 3 fuck I, I'm gonna watch it regardless but I had to cut it in terms of our timeline yeah, for the episode
1: you gotta watch this one because <sighs> I know you, you've seen Annihilation right
0: oh I love Annihilation yeah. yeah,
1: I love Annihilation too and in the weirdest way This kind of reminds me of that. Oh, my God. It's Natalie Portman being weird as fuck, and I love that shit. I love when Natalie Portman is a little little psycho. A little freak. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But this this was probably the biggest, well, uh, outside of maybe guys at parties like it, this was probably the biggest surprise surprise of the year for me. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about this movie going in. I had seen like a poster or stills posted online of May, December and was, Oh, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. Cool. I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. Hadn- hadn't looked into it at all. Um, I didn't even know it was directed by Todd Haynes um, Which- until like a few days before I got um, an email about a-, a press screening and I was like, eh, I'm not doing anything that night. I'll go check it out. I know a lot of people like aren't going to this one. So I'll show yeah. up and, fucking phenomenal it's this Uh, it's this crazy this crazy balance between uh melodrama pushed to the point of being like campy and goofy and silly and also this kind of dark sinister meditation on like um you know manipulation and the things we're willing to do to people casually uh to hurt them um And it's, you know, I said it earlier about Monster. It's like a film where you think it's one thing for a while and then it's something totally different. Um, You know, we kind of see most of the story through Natalie Portman's character's lens. And it's like she's our vessel into this weird fucked up story about a woman who marries a boy, uh, a young boy.
0: Yeah. In case you don't know the premise, the film is about an actress played by Natalie Portman. Basically shadowing Julianne Moore's character to play a version of Julianne Moore character for a film.
1: Yeah, and the the and Julianne Moore character and her husband, that dynamic is um, I can't remember the name, but it's based on a, a scandal in the '90s, uh, in which this um, woman in her like 30s or something, or maybe late 20s, started dating a teenager, um, and it was the talk of the town was all over the place they were in all the tabloids for a long time but like they stayed together for a long time and so this is kind of it's not a depiction of those events but it's inspired by that um and that the the film within the film that natalie portman's character is researching for is about that scandal and so natalie portman is like trying to get into character and trying to understand this woman why she would you know pursue such a young boy i think her husband her now husband at the time that they met was 13 and Mm -hmm. she was like 29 or something um and now he's he's 36 which would make her in her 50s i think yeah Mm -hmm. um and one of my i mean one yeah one of my favorite performances of the year is charles melton as the 36 year old husband
0: again as someone who has subjected himself and is yet to finish <laughs> to Riverdale his he he's yet to finish Riverdale it's it's diminishing returns but it's such it's the one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life so I gotta <laughs> I gotta finish it so yeah but the fact that they hear that like the, the man who has played Reggie for seasons in that fucking yeah. show is now just like you I'm hearing people like who have never seen Riverdale just like talk this man's up. Yeah. Makes me fucking so happy for him and also be yeah. like, Holy shit. Well,
1: yeah, there, there's it's a
0: film with Julianne Moore <clears throat> and Natalie Portman, and if he's getting the praise, yeah. That just shows how much he stands out right in his I, performance. Yeah. Which and is great.
1: Don't get me wrong, Natalie Portman is amazing too. Yes. Um but yeah, Charles Melton in some ways it felt like he was bred by things like riverdale and like his netflix stuff to do a role like this this feels like the perfect inversion of his thing like his what he's done with his career because like yeah riverdale is a lot of you know 20 and 30 somethings playing teenagers you know um uh, and and we've seen that all over hollywood it's a classic trope where the actors are way older playing way younger and this this is a fun sorry go ahead
0: no And usually, a lot of that's played tongue in cheek, or it's like they're not—they're not being told. Like the the people are not telling, like, "No, we want you to be as authentic 16 as you can." Like no one fucking cares. They're beautiful people. They can get away with them doing, you know, sex scenes or doing something naughty that teenagers you shouldn't. That it'd be really weird if you actually had 16 year olds do. Yeah. But since they're in their 20s, they're like, "Oh, it's fine." Yeah, but, yeah, that's just been his career for, like, the last five years. <laughs> right. And
1: so then for him to come into this where it's almost this kind of weird meta inversion of that where yeah. he, he is playing his own age. Like, he's playing a mid-30s guy. But because he's been in this relationship with this manipulative, conniving, much older woman since he was 13, he was emotionally stunted yeah. at that age. Mm-hmm. And so what you've got is basically a 36-year-old with, like, the mind and social skills of a 13-year-old. And it's it's the best 36-year-old, 13-year-old I've ever seen. Charles Mountain is stellar. And there's – it's – yeah. the film is simultaneously, like I said, it's a contrast of two tones. And it's simultaneously heartbreaking to watch scenes like him, you know – he has a son. He has a teenage son. And he's interacting with his son. And his son knows more about the world than he does. You know? And I, it's
0: just... Whoa. I didn't fucking know that. Yeah. yeah. Now they I got have, real... They have
1: children in this movie. And, they have uh, multiple? I think two, maybe. Oh my god, Andy. Um,
0: I was already gonna watch it, but now that just sounds even worse. And I gotta see this just, now. Holy it's just... Holy fuck.
1: on one hand heartbreaking, but the film is also like constantly... um. Playing up the, or not playing up, but like constantly subtly highlighting the like insanity and absurdity and superficiality of all these characters, mainly oh, yeah. Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, but, like...
0: Which, in case uh, people out there yeah. don't know, this is, like, her fifth collaboration with this director. Yeah. So, like, th- this director knows Julianne Moore as well as Julianne Moore knows him, so, like, <laughs> yeah. I bet she's...
1: Oh, and Julianne Moore is insufferable oh, in this. I mean, like, fucking like love it. not in a bad performance way, in an incredible performance way, yeah. but, like, yeah, it's she's just... She's got this little voice like this that she talks <laughs> in all the time. Do
0: you think, when it comes to the Oscar season, do you think it'll be a bit of a controversy in terms of that they might pick Natalie Portman for Best Actor and put her for like Best Supporting? Maybe it'll be mean, like, well, they're 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 about as good as you know you know. Maybe
1: the, I think I think Portman really is the lead. Um, that's fair. Yeah. Um, it
0: seemed like it in the trailers.
1: Mo- yeah, more is like kind of more is like the subject matter but the story is told from portman's yeah. perspective um but yeah it's todd haynes pulls off this really fascinating tonal tightrope walk between this is fucking hilarious and absurd uh-huh. and also this is really sad and depraved and and makes me kind of sick um and the score is uh, um like half of it is repurposed from an old 70s movie and half of it's original work but it feels like Jesus it feels like a dateline segment it's this very played up kind of melodramatic thing played over these very kind of you know realistic normal events and it's just this weird icky gross funny feeling throughout the whole movie
0: screaming internally that sounds yeah well I I was I had to cut it last minute because I was like I don't know is it really going to hit my top 10? And now I'm fucking listening to you. And it's like, (laughs) well, that's the best part about these, these, these lists. They're subjective and they are ever flowing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's great. All right. We're at a point now we're in our top two we got to put the cards out on the table because there's one film in particular I know is in our top two. Yeah. So I have to ask, is Oppenheimer number two? For yes. You? Thank fuck. Okay. Because that's my number two. Okay, we Let's finally lined up. Let's go right into it. We finally lined up. Yeah, now, now we can just not have to Last wait. Last
1: year I feel like we had a bunch we of did. Like, the same placements of the same yeah. films. And no, this year yeah. this is the only one.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad that we at least have one and it's this one because this – I will say because I, I don't know if I put it in my review when we did on letter when I did on Letterbox, but like I think Oppenheimer is the best thing Nolan's ever done. Yeah, I think and everything he's put together. Again, this is a man who, in the last few years, has had some really interesting choices in terms of what he does, but ultimately are films that like I think are great, but are usually held back by things that like you know most <laughs> directors are not usually held back by in terms of like. When it comes to like the writing you know, being a little emotionless, or you know the plot being just yeah. so convoluted, because again, I I think Dunkirk is great as a th- experience in theaters. I personally have only enjoyed Tenet the more times I've seen it, <laughs> but I also know that those films are weak in certain aspects because, in all honesty, Dunkirk is pretty pencil thin as a as a film in terms of plot wise mm-hmm. except for the fact of the the twist in terms of the timeline it's like yeah, your, yeah uh discrepancies and and Tenet, again Tenet is a fucking blast in theaters if only they didn't release a version that just destroyed your ears right it's better and T- it's it, thankfully <laughs> yeah. the, the the mix is actually good on yeah. like you know streaming and if you buy it but like it
1: Tenet is like a dumb Bond movie, like dressed up in the oh, trappings of Interstellar like, if, if or you, Inception.
0: If you replaced nuclear warfare with temporal warfare, it's a modern warfare film. Yeah, pretty. It much. It is basically a Makarov. Like it's like yeah. Kenneth Brana is Makarov, <laughs> and like they're just trying to fucking stop this man from doing a nu- like a time nuke, basically. Yeah. And so, like Nolan has always been. An event film guy, and also he's he's been one who has been constantly fighting with the idea of preserving cinema in theaters to the point where he basically (laughs) cut ties with Warner Brothers after Tenet, (laughs) how they handled Tenet, right, and basically like made Universal bend over backwards to make sure that he got the date he wanted, the budget he wanted, and the the um, uh, the the topic that he wanted to do, and ultimately it ends with Oppenheimer being a three-hour film that is truly an event that was worth seeing in IMAX in its full capacity with one of the best casts of the year. Yeah. One of the best scores of the year. Yeah. Some of the best cinematography of the year. You have Killian Murphy just <laughs> selling uh, Oppenheimer in a way that like, other actors could have done it, sure, but not like Killian Murphy. Yeah. And of course, earlier in the episode, I was talking about how most best supporting actors... You know, I've been seeing this year where it's like this guy would be good, but this guy, the butt, is Robert Downey Jr. as Strauss. Oh, yeah. He feels like he has this, he feels like he has <laughs> that award in the bag, just in terms of how big, grandiose that film is, and how subtle and sneaky, and just compared to like how Killian plays Oppenheimer, just how much Strauss, especially Downey Jr., a man who does not need. Any more money no. or any more honestly any more yeah, yeah. Any more big budget films, honestly. He is he is set for his life basically, but he is given a performance that is arguably the best performance he has done in decades, excluding, yeah. you know, the I, this Tony Stark in the room. Right, right. So it's yeah, Oppenheimer is just fucking phenomenal and it's also a film that we I didn't think it was going to actually, you know, show the dropping. Oh. Like you know, in Japan. Oh right, right. right. But the way that the the film handles what the replacement "quote unquote" of the that kind is kind of
1: yeah, the emotional consequence yes. of that.
0: It is it is a it is a film that I feel like once it ends, it is a cut to black. Well, fuck. Ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like uh, what else is there to say? other Yeah, than like... it's
1: a like a mountain mover of a film. It's just yeah. I mean, to t- you're kind of long descriptor list of, w- of what this movie was like starting with must see imax experience through to the cast and all that it's like it's all that and it's 90 percent people standing in a room talking about science oh my god like, yeah it's there's no action in this aside from like one explosion you
0: you get everything you have se- if you have been a nolan fan for years and you know his favorite things to do he doesn't like telling a story straightforward he doesn't like you know yeah not having a scene where a bunch of people are standing around talking about allegory or metaphor (laughs) and life and humanity. Like this, this film has all the Nolan tropes you would expect just at the best they've ever been on top of the fact that one of the things I think Nolan has always been weak with is emotion. He can bring like, you know, scores in his films can bring emotion. The actors can do their damnedest to bring the emotion to certain scenes. But if it doesn't, if it's not ingrained in the script in some way, shape or form, it just falls flat a lot of the times, yeah, and Oppenheimer doesn't have that issue because it actually finds a way to have a lead character who is suppressing his emotions so much <laughs> that when it actually finally comes out, it is genuinely you know what scene I'm thinking about, where it's like the the fucking auditorium scene, yeah, where it's like right. when that is finally it feels like the time where it finally everything just drops, yeah it is that scene said shivers down your spine it it, everything comes together in a culmination of like holy fuck there's like 30 to 45 minutes left in this film (laughs) and getting this scene right holy fuck like it is it is a film that deserved to be in theaters and if you didn't see it in theaters it happens but you should still fucking watch the film yeah
1: and Um, when it eventually gets shown at some theater again please go yes. see it
0: honestly like it's it's it is that it is the film that really makes you go like you know I, s- streaming has made you know film accessibility so much easier but the but truly Andy and I have always been pro just like a good cinema experience yeah which yeah. can be hard a lot of the times mm-hmm. this when we saw this with a full IMAX theater with a row that was like two thirds our friends yeah. and we all were just like Fuck yeah! Perfect. It was it was it was a perfect experience, and bought this shit on four K as soon as I fucking could. Yeah, well, can't and wait to watch it again.
1: For as grand and intense and spectacular of an experience it is, it's also like Nolan's most personal film. It yes. feels like, at yeah. least in years, um, I don't want to stretch too far to like psychoanalyze Nolan or anything or read too much into what he was trying to do but like it it feels like he saw something in Oppenheimer that really struck a chord with who he is as a filmmaker and as a person mm-hmm. working in an industry and a a, a pioneer of sorts I don't want to well, say he's conflating himself with Oppenheimer but no. it well, there is a really interesting angle to this movie that feels like Nolan read American Prometheus and was like, I understand this guy. No, yeah, I, like, I think on a base... and that comes through in the script, you know, in in Killian Murphy's performance and in the 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 myriad small moments of this huge film.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. I don't think you're wrong on that. I don't think yeah. it's a full psycho analysis, because in all honesty, yeah, I think you can see in his film. That when he was reading American Prometheus, he wasn't being like, oh my God, you know, same background, same. No, name. yeah. It genuinely was. You can see Nolan being like, this is a man who loves having 20 plates being spun on a stick at the same <laughs> time, only because in the very finite moment that it works it'll be something that no one will forget. Yeah, it'll be the grandest and, and, thing and, anybody's pulled off. And if that's not Nolan as a fucking filmmaker, <laughs> right. I don't know what is. Yeah. Like he he is such he is so into the intric and, you know the complexities of certain things. He's the king of practical effects right now in terms right. of like advocating for it. Yeah. I mean, he is he clearly has a kinship <laughs> a little bit to the the work ethic of what Oppenheimer at that time yeah. and it is.
1: Yeah, it's also it's, one of the best scores in an opera uh, or in a Nolan it's film. It's Ludwig, right? Ludwig, yeah. It's God. one of Ludwig's best scores among a slew of amazing scores from that God,
0: man. It's good. It's it's great that you know Ludwig is going like. You know, I'm not. He's he's like he's not trying to be John Williams, but he's basically making John Williams moves by doing like banging Star Wars scores, and then he'll just make bangings. acclaimed director films. <laughs> He'll be making yeah. banging scores for like critically acclaimed films. It's
1: also <laughs> worth talking about how like he he'll he'll score a movie, and it'll wind up being like the the secret best part of that movie. I mean, there are yeah. so many amazing things about Oppenheimer, but like the score is so transportive it it, yeah it's you could almost maybe more than any other score i listened to this year you could listen to the score and feel like you're being told the story yes oh absolutely like the the, the music tells the story of this movie as it's happening and it's it's just stunning
0: again and we it's so crazy i think that we probably wouldn't have got that if it weren't for the fact that zimmer couldn't do tenant because of right. Dune. so ludwig did tenant yeah tenant score no also really liked that rips yeah. and it's like yeah so like yeah tenant the oppenheimer is a 15 layer cake that every time you get to a new layer you go well this is also fucking perfect. Yeah. what yeah. the fuck yeah. this is it's it, it's the type of film that makes you if it makes you mad it's mad at like how effortless uh uh-huh. it really it is yeah. even though it clearly has so much effort put into right. it right But you're like, this is way too smooth. This is working way too well. What the fuck? (laughs) Stop it.
1: You also get Matt Damon Uh, at his angriest, his grumpiest.
0: Gosh, he looks like he wants to throw all those nerds through a door. He looks like he
1: has high blood pressure. He does. I've I've not seen a lot of performances where you can just (laughs) see on their face that they have high blood pressure, but he does.
0: Uh, He looks like a man who told his wife, don't worry, we'll do couples therapy unless (laughs) Nolan needs me for a film. And then Nolan (laughs) needs me for a film. (laughs) Which is what really happened, which I fucking love. So yeah, Oppenheimer is our number twos. And I'm going to be nice. I'll throw number one to you. What is your number one?
1: My number one for the year already appeared on your list. Um, Oh my god. I I remained a little bit mum on it. As I said, it would come back later. Uh, My number one is... The greatest action film of the year. Yes! The greatest action film yes! maybe of the 21st yes! century, at least in America. My number one pick is John Wick, is chapter, John Wick four. chapter 4. Oh. Um, yeah. I I just can't bring... Like, I can't find myself overstating how monumental this movie is. You just, you um, just want
0: to tape... If you, if you have... I feel like you've had this feeling, too. It's like, if you have fan, friends who are fans of action but haven't watched this film you just want to tape them to a chair. Yeah, like what are you them, doing? like what the f- you need to You like watch action this.
1: movies? Well, put this in your blood. Like what do you yeah. what do you what's wrong with you? Cuz
0: again that the first John Wick feels like indirectly in uh, response to the raid. Yeah, because the raid is a film that is an Indonesian film that basically puts all American action films to shame at that point. Right, and you have two men it being was a like
1: huge, um, kind of dog whistle for like yeah. the shittiness of American action oh at that God. point.
0: Because around that time, I think around the time the raid was coming out is when the the big Taken three right, of right, it all was right. happening. The 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 fence jumping scene. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of <laughs> the where we were. Fifteen edits. Yeah, and so it's like now we're at a point where John Wick Chapter Four is just like, well, fuck. This is yeah. now the new standard that I don't even think you can hit unless you just do something completely different.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's a it's a a doubly impressive feat to not only dwarf the previous three films in your uh, franchise that were already putting other American action to shame, like they were they were pushing the bar oh, higher, yes. and then this film comes out and is like. Uh, all of those were like child's play. Uh, we're going to yeah. do almost three hours of almost continuous action and it's going to be emotionally rewarding and it's going to be narratively compelling. You know, like just comes out and does everything at top notch. Um, it's it's full on at times, it's full on video game shit in the best way I've ever seen put to screen. Yeah, absolutely. There are literally, there's literally a level in this that John ha- fails and has to start over. Um, and you watch him do basically the same fight twice in a row. Yeah. Um, it's it, you know if I have a problem with the previous John Wick movies, which you know I really love those movies. The series means a lot to me. Um, but you know, Chapter Two and Chapter Three, they get a little thin on justifying the continue like the continuation of the story based on the yeah. premise set forth in the first film, mm. like you said. It's four movies about a guy who's angry that his dog was killed. And the first film gets away with that just on pure bloodlust. Like, yeah, okay, this guy's going to go on a tear. Yeah. Second one, okay, we get more of the world. Cool. I'm starting to lose why John's still doing all this, uh, but he gets embroiled and stuff. Three, we're feeling a little long in the tooth. I, I still really enjoy that movie. The but like, fun. narratively, it's like, okay, I don't even know how we got here. Yeah, I think
0: um, I, I rewatched three after scene four. Yeah. And then like, I talked to Adam and Adam's like, I actually never saw three. And we rewatched three. yeah. And yeah, it's it, a blast. It, it's so much fun, but, but uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. You, you start to feel the wear on the, the narrative momentum of I- it. And then for this to come and just like you said, it kind of gives more to John than we got in the last film or two. Yeah. Um, And, and also somehow introduces like 20 new characters and they're all cool and compelling and they yeah. all add to the experience of following john on this journey yeah and it, you it, get an emotionally satisfying conclusion at the end
0: too. it's it's yeah it's it feels like every character that's added in four is like the studio exec walks in and goes oh cool If is this guy in here because if it does well you could do a spinoff and stahelski's right, right. like no, I just like I think this is a cool character to put in yeah. a John Wick film. Yeah. We could I guess <laughs> but why does it matter? Right. <laughs> like it's yeah, everything that's done in four is it's finishing off the series, at least it it wants to finish off the series in a way that is just like we are we are making a we're putting our stamp on American action in a way that is like from this point forward, it doesn't matter what type of film it is if it has action in it and has more than like a hundred million dollar budget, most people who watch chapter four are going to watch those films and go, how much money you had? Yeah. You could have done chapter four a little bit. You could have put more time into your actual action than this. I mean, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, this, this this, this might ruin a lot of films in the future. Yeah. I mean, you know
1: what I will say in 2023, this ruined mission impossible dead reckoning for me. I can understand that because I went into a hundred percent going into 2023 you can go back to the, the episode and quote me. I think I said Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was one of my most anticipated films of the year.
0: Probably. it's one. Of, it was one of mine, too.
1: I was really... I l- fucking love Fallout. Fallout's great. Um, Road Nation slaps. Yeah. Um, and so I was really looking forward to that. Then I saw John Wick, and I was like, holy fuck. Um, but then I thought, you know, okay, John Wick is more like full-tilt-all fighting all the time. Less about the plot. Yeah, Mission Impossible is yes, it brings the set pieces, but it's less about like hand to hand beat beat 'em up and more about like the espionage and the the yeah. subterfuge and all and all that and the crazy stunts that Tom Cruise is willing to do.
0: And we're seven films in, and yeah, right. Know, maybe we got one more yeah. in, and
1: um, and yeah, I mean, Dead Reckoning still enjoy that movie. Um, but man, after just seeing Keanu Reeves and all of his stunt team. And all the other actors just beat on each other in the most creative and cool and pretty and fun and brutal ways. Yeah, Dead Reckoning and its uh, its yeah. pandemic afflicted uh, set pieces just did not measure up.
0: It doesn't. No, like again, I think Dead Reckoning's in my top twenty, but it is seventeen. Yeah. Like it is, yeah. It is as someone who still really thought Dead Reckoning was a great time. It is not as good as Fallout or Rogue Nation, yeah. and arguably Ghost Protocol. Like it's yeah. probably yeah. the weakest of the newer era, right? K- definitely because of pandemic, but also because of just the yeah. fact that like there's seven films in. Yeah. And it's like how do you keep that going? And guess what John Wick goes, well we are four films in and that's a good place to just redo everything. Like just yeah. throw yeah. everything on the table. Yeah. This is the type of film you feel like the the best hope for me is that there's a bunch of auteurs out there that are like this is my team we have maybe three films in the chamber in terms yeah. of like story-wise that we could do action. Uh, they need to come with me. We need this budget. Yeah. Fuck you. I saw John Wick Chapter 4. I know my worth. Yeah, like, right. You, like, if you, yeah, you just need I to hope have this that.
1: legitimizes this type of action, the super physical, in-camera, yeah, intense stuff. Um, I would hope that studios are looking at this and thinking, like, not necessarily how do we make our own John Wick, but, like, how do we improve our action to measure yeah. up to this? You know, yeah. in our
0: blockbusters, um, which you, which you fucking should, especially You have it, to. Yeah. Like the
1: the paradigm has shifted. To quote, um,
0: to quote, uh, what's his name from Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom? You can't put it back in the can't box. Put it back in the box. <laughs> yeah, Chapter Four is really a Pandora's box of action films. Yeah, Once, I mean, it's, it's just...
1: not an overstatement to say that like almost every action scene in this movie and it's an almost three-hour movie, a lot of action, could be the defining set piece of it, like any other film, yeah, almost. Yeah.
0: The, you listening out there, think of like your four to five, if you're an action fan, four to five top action films of all time. Chapter four probably beats two or three of those films. <laughs> Maybe four, depending yeah. on what you like in terms of action, but it's just like, yeah it, just it, in
1: terms of the variety and complexity and impact of the action yeah it's so a, good
0: It's a film that is a fucking buffet but it's not mediocre food on a big huge plate it right is, it's not just it an onslaught t- yeah it is the top tier best shit you could have in a buffet <laughs> style and it just doesn't stop
1: It's a top shelf shotsky.
0: It gives you Scott Atkins in a fat suit, and that man just fucking- <laughs> He
1: beats the shit beats, out of Keanu Reeves. He beats the
0: shit out of Keanu Reeves in a fat suit. <laughs> yeah. It is so fucking good. Killer. He's <laughs> so um, good. I, it is. It's so fucking good. I,
1: I do want to say, the last thing I'll say on this, and then we can uh, go to your number one. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Keanu himself. Oh. I I think mm. it's maybe, you know, everybody loves Keanu. He's wholesome, all that but I think it, it went a little bit under-discussed just how good he is in oh, this. Oh, 100%. Um, I, I think part of that is this film, Stahelski reaching a great merging point between the culmination of the action choreography and also you know an emotional high point for John as a character. And Keanu meets that head-on. You just feel his fatigue yeah. throughout the entire film. His physical... Uh, his physicality is just in the fight scenes out of the fight scenes. You can just tell this dude is just, he's just kind of done, but he's got to keep, and I don't mean Keanu's done. Like he's checked out. I mean, like John, the character is like ready to put all this to bed and you can feel that in every fight scene. You can feel his, um, you know, just the, the tenacity of trying to push through one last thing. Okay. Now one, yeah, okay, I, now, one more last thing. okay, now one more last thing. and it's just it's exhausting, like you said, but in like a compelling way.
0: What chapter four gets right with John that I think two and three struggles with is the idea that like in two and three, there is a sense that Keanu plays John in a way where John feels like he can go back to what he had yeah. before one. And then four, it's scorched earth. He couldn't fucking care less. Yeah, he is gonna make the biggest bang he can. And regardless of where the film ends, he is going to, regardless of the fatigue, regardless of everything, he is going to keep going forward. Yeah. And that is something that, like, yeah, I think that's what makes three so weak in comparison to the other ones is because it's another film of him being like, you know, I'm back in, but I don't really want to be back in. It's like in four, it's like he doesn't fucking matter. it. It literally four opens in a way that goes like, you remember that shit in chapter three? couldn't care less <laughs> and yeah it's yeah, like, right. and it's like again i like chapter three a lot i think it's great but like four it's just like it opens and it just bangs yeah and it deserves and to be in the top 10 and i think it's perfect for your top one <laughs> yeah
1: um, all right logan let's, let's spider-man across
0: it. the spider-verse <laughs> okay. it's it i mean it's it is it, it's my favorite spider-man film it is i think it is a populist choice again i understand mm-hmm. that i understand that like a lot of the choices I have in my top ten this year, surprisingly, are you know more crowd pleasing, sure, less indie, less artsy stuff, and there's nothing That's okay. wrong either way. Yeah. But it's just like when I, one of the things about film that works so well in the cinema and why you know f- films need to be seen in theaters as much is is the collective. Experience of so many people around you that you don't even fucking know. Yeah, just being as jazzed and as pumped. People from different. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It's like even films. Like it's what happened with Top Gun Maverick last year. Right. Yeah, right. Or two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Where it's like even if it's not a perfect film, like. When you have this experience, when you are having this synergy in a theater Mm -hmm. with people, you have no idea what their fucking names are. (laughs) And then on top of that, you are seeing one of the best animated films America has ever fucking made. And it also is a product of a comic book series that arguably made a better film than the last maybe five or six MCU films. (laughs) Like, you are seeing like there is honest to god like this is a year for animation in terms of you know there's across the spider verse and there's our attempts to try to not even be considered close to spider verse because even if you touch that yeah like it is you are risk being considered inferior in comparison <laughs> and it's like it's one of those situations where like there's only one other film animation wise that I feel like could beat this out at the oscars mainly because of a legacy aspect as well as a traditionalist aspect to it which is in my top 20 which is the boy and the heron which is a film i know i like more than you do but ultimately like the reason why that film would win though is because it's being pushed as miyazaki's last film quote-unquote magnum opus yeah but ultimately that's the reason why because in genuinely in an objective sense right Across the Spider-Verse pushes the envelope, like Andy says, even more than Into did. And Into already pushed that envelope to the point of breaking. Yeah. So the fact that we got even closer. It's like
1: John Wick situation, but for animation. (laughs) And
0: it's just like seeing that in theaters. Again, I – because like we were all going to see it together as a group. And then unfortunately I had to bow out last minute because I wasn't able to get the time off I could to see it with them. And I was genuinely sad, but <laughs> it is what it is. I was able to see it the next day in like a one p.m. showing, maybe like a maybe like eleven a.m. showing in an IMAX theater with like twenty people that yeah. fits like eighty. And those twenty people, we all kind of sat next to each other. I could feel the energy genuinely. Yeah, I could feel the energy from the beginning. All the way to the end, when the end ends on the big old "to be continued," yeah, right? Yeah. And having people just—you feel the anger because they all—we all, all had the same feeling of, "I would watch a six-hour film of this." Yeah. Right. I would watch. I would watch beyond right now. Just yeah. put it on. Just put it on right now. I'll just watch it right now. Like, don't fucking tease me like this. But I agree with you. Across does an incredible job of telling Gwen's story in a complete fashion. Yeah picturing like, pushing her as more of the protagonist this time around as well as giving great development for miles miles and his parents i feel like mm-hmm. across gives rio a bit more time to shine compared to what she had in the first yeah, film yeah as well as you know giving the fan service that everyone expected to see for the film yeah but also giving the spider-men and women that actually get a chance to talk you know you know, specific personalities, unique personalities, yeah. unique performances, unique designs, and also, in a year, <laughs> this is going to be understated in any way or overstated, in a year of phenomenal scores, in a year huh. where it's like, I cannot wait to see who gets fucking snubbed type of year for scores, um, if Daniel Pemberton won for fucking That'd Cross cool. he deserves it. Yeah. Because... There have been people, there have been fans on the and I know it's on fucking TikTok and YouTube and whatnot, but there are people who are breaking down single tracks from that man where yeah. you hear all the light motifs come together, and they're all vastly different light motifs oh, yeah. come together in a way that is unison, that is symphonic uh, in a way that is just so
1: much thematic unity <laughs> in across those two movies. It's insane. Like the Startup Gwen, yeah, the, the Gwen's uh, theme is basically like a, a Inversion of Miles' motif theme and just all that shit. It's just awesome
0: to the point where, like, the last fucking the last fucking track is it's called "Start a Band" and it is it has everything that you've already seen in the film, but now (laughs) in an oral fashion. Yeah, and it is just like you were sitting there going, "Oh my fucking god!" I honest to god when I saw Across and I was like, "Beyond supposed to come out in March." Gonna be honest if it gets pushed back to, like, end of year, if not next year, yeah, I couldn't care less. Yeah. This it has to be perfect now. Yeah. Because now you've pushed it so hard that, like, it is, is it, it I just, it is, as someone who loves animation, as someone who loves all forms of animation, traditional, CGI, you know, Eastern, Western, French, uh, British, uh, claymation, stop motion, you know, like, it just loves seeing people, Either be in their own niche or just try to push the envelope in a way that feels like it needs to be pushed because we we need to have it pushed. Yeah. In Ch- John Wick chapter four is the action version of that. Across the Spider Verse is basically like if we're going to keep making animation interesting and like people get into it and the more, it can't just be the wishes of the world. Or even though I liked Elemental. Yeah. Like, in the situation like that where it's, like, a Pixar kind right, of right. always, like, this is a Pixar look. Like, we need to, like, we need to experiment a bit more, especially in a bigger sense. And while it's no surprise that Across had a bit of a controversy considering the how overworked everyone involved in that film yeah, was, over, yeah. of course they fucking were. <laughs> um,
1: I'm sure the same could be said for Boy and Heron.
0: Oh, gosh. Boy and the Heron's also been fascinating on that in terms yeah. of their production, but, like, Across the Spider-Verse was the first film this year that I sat through the entire thing, got to the end, and went 10 out of 10. Uh-huh. Couldn't, like, no, no, no competition in terms yeah. of that. And just, like, every film after that, you know, seeing Oppenheimer, seeing Holdovers, seeing uh, right. Perfect Days, like, just, like, when I got those 10 out of 10s, it's, like, those are all just as good. But Across was the first ten out of ten of the year. <laughs> that because of that, it's never
1: one. Hey, so was John Wick for me. That was my I first ten out of ten, which
0: think. is awesome. And, yeah, um, you, and that's worse for you because you saw that in February. <laughs> wasn't it March? I thought it was February, March. It was fucking you, early. fucking early. Way too early. You had nine months. To
1: yeah. Just, like, be like it's everything's John Wick. downhill it's not John from Wick. here. Uh, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, across the Spider Verse, just I mean, I just love when a movie when a Spider-Man movie contends with like, or grapples with what it means to be Spider-Man, like the mythology of Spider-Man and kind of breaks down the tenets of the character, um, you know, like weighing the Spider-Man's willpower, which is never ending, Mm -hmm. against like inevitable tragedy and failure. That is just like my favorite shit. Oh yeah. And this movie does that, insanely well through miguel o'hara as the villain who is like the kind of anti spider-man in a way because he's yeah. he has been broken down and and uh defeated by yeah. the inevitability of tragedy he's, he's failed yeah and it's literally miles pushing against that miles pushing against spider-man as a concept to yeah. be like nah that yeah. ain't it a-
0: and similar to into it's like into spider-verse You can go into both these films and just, like, have a basic understanding of Spider-Man and then just realize as you're watching, oh, this is why people love this character so much. Yeah. The versatility, the look, the feel, the tenets that are so built into the basic uh, the foundation of the character, but how, like, that doesn't mean that all the characters feel the same. Yeah. It just means it comes to a really interesting quandary when (laughs) one of those characters wants to fight against those boundaries yeah. Makes it so fucking good. Yeah. It's again, for our top 10s of the year, they these are films that like show just how good of a year we've had. Yeah. It's it's such a varied degree of film and I'm I'm happy we get to have a year like this and I'm genuinely excited for what this year is going to bring. I don't honestly know what is all coming out this year, other than yeah, I, other than your favorite? You're excited for Madam Webb, You're excited for Raven right, the Hunter. Right. You know, it's, that's pretty
1: much it. That really is um, it. <laughs> Sonic Three. You know, oh, Shadow that, Baby. Oh shit, Sonic Three. I guess
0: will be that's my number five. Yeah. I guess. Um Timothy Chalamet is some yeah. Shadow. You cowards.
1: We we are getting Bong Joon Ho's next movie. Mickey Seven. Mickey, Mickey 7, Seven. Yeah. Um, with
0: good old Bobby Pat. Good old. Oh. Good old...
1: And I have to mention it because I said I he would be brought up again uh challengers which is uh luca guadagnino's yes. next film is written by justin kritskus the love or the uh potion seller guy Mission, that, uh, mr potion seller himself. yeah that logan mentioned earlier who is dating uh, Celine uh, song. celine's song God, um a, uh, yeah that looks fun because it's zendaya it's two dudes battling it out for Zendaya's yeah. love and her yeah. just basking in that.
0: And Luca Guadagnino has had a really good run recently. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like he's, it's it's fun. It'll be fun to finally see that come out. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. coming out. Um, Big, big ones, uh, Kung Fu Panda 4, we already talked about. Right. I, want that, I want that to be good. Nosferatu, which we might probably do something for Eggers, like his, his right. filmography right. up to that point. Um,
1: do you have any, do you have anything? Because I have one that's like, Sometimes when I say anticipated, it's not because I expect it to be amazing or I'm like putting all my bets on it. It's just like I am so intrigued by that.
0: Yeah, but it's again, it's been, yeah. I've been so knee deep and try to catch up with 2023. Yeah. I think I forgot. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, kind of an in between of that of like actually anticipating it, but also like not expecting it to be 10 out of 10 yeah is godzilla x kong the new empire oh yeah yeah is that one will be yeah it's just being able to watch a giant orangutan and yeah. kong well and it's it's been fun to watch shit. the
1: arc of the legendary godzillas go from like okay in 2014 we're gonna do this super serious yeah stoic godzilla and now they're basically doing like 60s mm-hmm. <laughs> Godzilla, like, yeah, just goofy shit beating up on each other and good for them.
0: It's it's kind of yeah. It's, it's honest to god. It's hilarious to think too. It's like it's like a sped up version of like the Showa era, but with America, yeah. like an American Showa era. Yeah, because basically it's like yeah, the first Godzilla film is taking itself super seriously. The second one is basically. Well, I guess we'll do destroy all monsters. Yeah, Because why we won't. Toho might not give us these characters again. Right. And then, like the show era, the third film is Godzilla vs King Kong. <laughs> yeah, right. And now we're at the point where he's just teaming up with other monsters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah.
1: my 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 one that I'm like fascinated by, eager to see how it plays out. Not sure about it is Borderlands, which is supposedly coming Shit, out next
0: that is, this year. This, that is this year.
1: Um, I love the Borderlands games. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, just to, to see how that gets cast. adapted will be interesting, especially because it's like fully live action. Yeah, to my understanding, it's,
0: it's Kate Blanchett, Cate Blanchett, Hart. Kevin
1: Hart, Jack Black as a robot.
0: God, I, I love G um, 3.
1: I can't remember who the other people are, but
0: no. Yeah, it's, it's it is. It, I know Tony wild. Tina was casted. Yeah, she was. I need to play Borderlands 3 already. Yeah. I own it. I just haven't touched it. <laughs> um yeah no i forgot that's code. there's again there's a bunch coming out this year but i think Oh, no, my... jamie
1: lee curtis she's playing yes. somebody
0: gosh what is she planning she's playing
1: the do- i think she's playing the doctor
0: character yes she is yeah uh, um yeah because that's is that eli roth is that eli roth from... yes
1: that's the other thing that has me like huh i don't know
0: i yeah that's a true i don't know i do want to watch thanksgiving though I've i heard saw thanksgiving fun. it was fun I heard, yeah. I heard it was fun um Yeah, uh, can't wait to see what 2024 has to offer. Especially, we're excited to see where we go. A lot in store for us. Yes, I'm excited for us. And speaking of the future of us, in terms of the next episode, we will keep you posted on that. Yeah. Because again, this episode should have come out, you know, when we're recording it. Actually, we are recording (laughs) live. For once, we're
1: basically recording live. Yeah, we are.
0: But uh, (laughs) due to just time scheduling stuff, this will probably be out I, I'm not even going to say a date because I feel like it's just going to ruin me. So, like, okay. you know, I would say once you've heard this episode, you know, tune in recently because we're definitely going to have an, a full-blown Odd, Odd trilogy episode in January. Yeah, And then we're going to get right into the swing of things. That's yeah. all we, all we can hope for. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for making it a great 2023. And here's mm-hmm. to an even better 2024. Again, I'm Logan Sowash.
1: And I'm Andy Carr.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Bye.